At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. All right, folks, it's another edition of Mullins and Music and Memories. Of course, I just saw that there was a little bit of rain here in Durham, North Carolina. So we had a little bit of rain. And of course, we're having great spring-like weather. Some people might argue that it's about to be summer-like because it's about to be, I think, 90 degrees tomorrow or something like that. But right now, it's still a cool, probably 70 or something along those lines. And of course, a lot of folks are still going out, getting those vaccines and doing things along those lines. And of course, people are paying attention to that. And of course, recently over there in Elizabeth City, there was another one of those um, incidents involving the police and the gentleman that was uh, killed in that incident at his funeral was today. So I do know that some civil rights leaders like Al Sharpton, Ben Crump, who was involved in the uh, case over there in Minnesota, and some others, including some of our local people um, and statewide people are down in Elizabeth City. I think that they were attending the funeral, which should be over by now and all of that. But definitely that's some of the things that are going on in the world. And of course, people are trying to get back on their feet and on their job journey and all of that. So those are just some of the things that are happening here in our community and definitely uh, looking forward to some great interviews during the course of this week. Um, like I said, I just finished talking to a young lady that is an advocate for single people as well as single mothers, to be exact, as well as a lawyer and just an advocate for entrepreneurs. And it was great having that conversation with Asia, who is out of the Philadelphia area. So I have found some amazing guests through Potted and some of the other sources that are able to get you some great guests and all of that. So here to bring another amazing guest on it to the floor and see what they are all about as well, including being a relationship expert. And actually, we were talking about relationships on the last show as well. So definitely looking forward to hear some of the advice that Margot gives in that regard. So definitely want to bring Margot on and learn more about what she's got going on and all of that. How are you doing, Margot? It's interesting that uh, I was just saying that my last guest on the radio show, because I do two of these streaming shows back to back on what was has been IBM TV for a while, but I think we're going to change to podtv.tv, but it'll still be the same concept of an international um and multiple show podcasting networks. So there are only a few of those in the country and everything. But I had Asia on out of Philadelphia, and she does a lot of work around being a single mother herself, but also an advocate for single mothers, as well as being a lawyer and an advocate for entrepreneurs. So a lot of the early conversation was around relationships because we were talking about how a lot of times uh, single mothers um, run into problems in that that relationship realm because sometimes folks, uh, in order to be a single mother, in my mind, you have to be independent. And sometimes Mm -hmm. guys aren't always um, prepared for the independence and all of that. So, and sometimes 
um, you also have to be very strong. And there are a lot of guys that are intimidated by strong women just in general. So I know that that's some of the things that you probably have to do with even in your own relationship conversation. So it's almost like the conversations flow into each other almost as well. So just tell a little bit about yourself and about the work that you do. Thank you. Well, thanks first of all for having me on your show. I'm excited to be here today. I'm an empowerment and relationship coach. So I support individuals and couples and really tapping into their power in relationships and learning how to break unhealthy relationship patterns, learning how to speak up, speak their truth, do the truth telling and really have empowered communication so that they can have more intimacy and greater connection. So it's really working with relationship challenges or even just stagnancy or thinking, yeah, things are okay, but they could be better kind of situations. Because I know one of the number one things that everybody talks about with relationships, and I find it even in my own relationships that, that I've had, and I've been a single man, and I'm now in my late 50s uh, for years, and pretty much been single all my life, never married, have had some long-term relationships, but in all of them, whether they were long-term or short-term, the key is always communications. And it sounds very simple, but it's not always as simple as you want it to be, because a lot of times we as humans don't always want to be as forthright as we probably should be in communications, because a lot of times you're afraid that you may hurt the person if you tell them how you honestly feel and all of that. So we sometimes shadow what should be good communications with not the greatest communication. So while communication seems easy and the, the, the whole concept of being honest in your communication seems easy, I would argue that it's not as easy as we make it out to be. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, I think you are 100% right. I think it's one of the biggest challenges we face in, in couples and in any communication, actually, not just romantic ones. Um, one of the big challenges, I think, well, twofold, is we tend to hide our truth and be afraid to speak up 100% because we're afraid of the other person's reaction. We're either afraid they're going to get angry, they're disappointed, reject us, something bad's going to happen if we actually show up in, in an authentic way. So that is the first thing that comes to mind. The second big challenge is a lot of people, um, when something happens that's not okay with them, when they're upset at something, they immediately go to like, I need this from you. I need that. Why did you do this? And the, the energy becomes attacking almost immediately. And some of the things that I speak about with my clients is, is first having the calm down time where you actually center yourself and balance yourself before you have a conversation about something that's not working for you. So that's one of the biggest challenges is actually rushing into a conversation when you're not in the right space to have it. No, and I agree with you. I think that sometimes we either rush into the conversation or sometimes we do things. Um, I know that even in my own life, I have sometimes done things that are not the best things to, to do. And I will admit that as I've grown older and wiser. So versus like, like if I felt like breaking up with somebody or if I felt like um, that they weren't the right situation versus just going and telling them, you know, this is not working. We're not meant for each other. Or I was wrong when we first got together, you start doing like passive aggressive things. So you start like not making as many calls as you used to make, or you start like finding, um, I've even in the past, and I know this is definitely wrong, have, you know, done situations where you can intentionally get caught in the situations that make them mad and make them blow up, for lack of a better term, and things of that nature. So I do know that passive aggressive is something that folks have to be 
cautious of if they're trying to like either break up a situation or go into a situation in whatever kind of way. So I'm just wondering your thoughts on how folks do when they do that. Cause I know I'm not the only one that has been guilty of passive aggressive behavior. Yes, that's a big challenge and something I see a lot. One of the big things is conflict avoidance. So passive aggressive behavior tends to come from wanting to avoid conflicts and the fear that comes with a conflict. And so oftentimes, like you state, you know what the truth is for you. You know, for instance, that you may be done with a relationship that it may not be working for you. But instead of actually having that head on conversation in that truth way of like, this is what I really need. This is what's not working. You sabotage a relationship so that the other person can be the one that takes the steps out of the relationship that gets upset, that creates the conflict. So you can still be on, Oh, well, you know, I was doing my best over here kind of energy, like the peacemaker. I'm not the one creating this conflict. So that's why it's so hard to be in a relationship with somebody who's doing passive aggressive behaviors because the other person thinks they're going crazy. They're like, what's true here? Um, So I think the most important thing, if you're finding yourself do passive aggressive behaviors is to really ask yourself, okay, what am I trying to avoid? What am I trying to avoid feeling by not speaking my truth? Am I trying to avoid, you know, being seen as the bad guy? Am Am I trying to avoid being in a conflict that I can't handle? And so then that goes to learning how to handle and work actually in disagreement that doesn't lead to crazy fights. I think that's the biggest things I work with people on is how do you have a conversation where you actually create connection versus fighting and arguments and basically distancing. Yeah, because I've definitely seen that in my own life as well as friends' lives and everything else where you'll have those conversations that seem like they're wonderful conversations. Y'all are finding common ground. You're finding differences. You're finding things that are definitely what you should have in those conversations. And then at some point or another, it becomes a, um, for lack of a better term, a yelling match. And in some cases, maybe even a screaming match. And I've even seen in my own life, as well as friends' lives, where things are starting to be thrown and things of that nature. And then at that point, (laughs) it's time to like, you know, duck and get out of the situation altogether. If it means just like leaving the building and going for a walk and hopefully the person has calmed down by the time you come back and everything. And then even along those same lines, there have been cases where that gets to the point of, frantic and if it's to the point of frantic sometimes you just have to walk away and i am an advocate of walking away if things cannot be worked out and i I don't think it should be the first reaction but i do think that sometimes you just have to walk away and everything and i was just wondering your thoughts about ways to calm down in those frantic situations because i've definitely been in them i've got friends that are still in those situations and also is it just a time that you do just have to walk away and that maybe that means packing your bag and heading on out the door and never being seen again by that person. Yeah, that's, those are such great observations and questions. So I think the first thing I want to address with that is when you're in a conversation with somebody that's escalating to the point of arguing and fighting. So it's in that moment that you have the choice. There's always one person who has the choice to choose a different way of responding to actually de-escalate the situation. So I always think about it, the analogy I use is kind of like, there's a fire that's been lit, it's starting to burn. And you can either throw more fuel on the fire by throwing blame and saying, I can't believe you said that to me and getting more angry, more logs are going in the fire and then it's burning brighter and brighter and more out of control. Or you can be like, okay, 
How can I calm down the fire right now? How can I take a step back from this? And so one of the things for you to do, if you're the one who has a who realizes, oh my gosh, we are entering the danger zone. This fire has ignited and things are getting out of control here is for you to be able to, and I really believe in the timeout to say, okay, I need a timeout. You can literally use this timeout and you just say timeout and you both have set this up in advance, hopefully, or you can, you know, have a conversation. What that means is that both of you are just going to take some deep breaths. Just slow down your energy, take five to 10 deep breaths. Because what has happened is that you've become out of the rational mind into the irrational emotional body, and it's going crazy. And if you can take some deep breaths, that actually helps you get more to centered, where you can start having a conversation in a more empowered one. And what I recommend is if you want to turn the tide around, the easiest thing to do is, is take some deep breaths. And then you actually, instead of fighting or defending your cause, Good. let's say, you know, somebody's upset and they're like, I can't believe you did this. Instead of saying, well, of course I did that, you know, in trying to defend yourself is to, is to start what I call the validation process. So it's to validate your partner by saying like, or whoever's across from you doesn't have to be a partner, anybody really. Right. Wow, I understand how upset <coughs> I, I get what's going on with you. Wow, I understand that. And it's it's actually just validating that person because what that does is it stops them from escalating and trying to continue to throw stuff at you because they're trying to be understood. They're trying to be heard. They're trying to honestly communicate something. And they get so out of control because if you push back and defend and keep saying, no, this isn't true, and throw your own opinion too fast onto the fire, things get out of control. So really the validation process is, the, is one of the first key steps to success here. I have a little story, Mark, that's actually kind of crazy that I, I'm, I wanna tell about this. Um, yes. with somebody that's not in a romantic relationship, but it was just totally crazy. I was once driving down the road and I, somebody, you know, I rear-ended somebody basically by accident. So basically I ran right into them. And they got out of their car and they were really big, like 250 pounds, you know, and tall and like six foot four. And this is really big person, a man. And he was in outright rage at me. He literally was like pounding the roof of his car. And I rolled down the window to say, okay, well, what should we do? And instead he just started yelling at me at the top of his lungs. Like, I hate people like you. I can't believe you ran into me and just was really... And I sat there and I said, oh, wow, okay, I get it. It sounds like you're having a bad day. And I just kept validating him like, whoa, yes, it is. It, I'm so, you know, it's bad that I ran into you. Of course, I should never run into you. And I just kept validating him. Mm -hmm. And he was out of control. And within about 10 minutes of this, he, he stopped and he said, whoa, I think I've just really had a bad day. And then he just like the whole energy went down. And there was somebody who had stopped who witnessed this, who was actually sitting and was a man, another man who was witnessing it. And when he walked away, the first man, he actually looked and said, hey, there's no damage. I'm just going to leave. And he apologized. Like, OK, I'm sorry. I was a little out of control. And I got in the car. The second man came up to me and said, I can't believe how well you handled that. I was so scared. I didn't know what to do. Wow. He had literally left dents in the top of the roof of my car. And I used just use this technique of I'm just going to validate him where he is. And it, it's magical what can happen. Yeah, that validation. And with, along those same lines of validation and everything, what do you say to those folks that get into relationships 
particularly with folks that have left a bad relationship. Because I do know that, you know, there's that saying of, um, we always tell folks not to bring the baggage into the next relationship. That sounds good in theory, but I think that we all bring some sort of baggage into the next relationship, whatever it is and everything. Now, we might be able to try to contain that baggage, but I do know that even in my own life, and I'm in my late 50s now, that I've definitely been in relationships where folks were pretty much almost trying to like project me onto the last person that they were, meaning they were trying to like say that I was doing the same things, even though as best I could tell, there was no similarities at all, but they were like projecting and doing other things from past relationships. So how do you deal with that when folks are bringing those past relationships in? I mean, we can tell them that they need to leave it at the door, but, you know, telling them that to do that and them actually doing it are not the same thing. Oh, you are so right. First of all, I think this is very common. I mean, of course, we bring the past into our relationships and I have done the same thing. And so there's a couple things that I recommend about this. Um, one is if you can continue to reassure the person that you are different by your actions, not just your words, eventually they can start to say, oh, this is actually a different person. This is not the same experience I had before. I can trust again. So what I think is helpful is at the beginning of a relationship or any time if it's past the beginning is to have an honest conversation and to ask yourself the questions, each other, well, what was what were the worst things that happened in the past relationship? What were those things that triggered you like crazy and it was really hard for you to handle and you really wish had never happened? It's actually good for both parties to be aware of each other's triggers from the past because then you can create, take steps in the current relationship to be very, very aware of those triggers and to see if those are still existing or if it's just that you're inventing them and then you're creating this possibility. For instance, if you've been cheated on before in the past, in a past relationship, you might be very suspicious of your partner's behavior. You might be wanting to monitor them a lot and thinking, are they really wanting to be with me? And so having really honest conversations about that particular topic is what will break it. So if for, for instance, if you're afraid that this person could be cheating on you or you're a suspicious type to be able to say, you know, I have been suspicious. I've had problems in the past. I'm suspicious. And this is what I need is reassurance to feel better in this area. So it's that kind of communication up front that keeps these challenges from happening in the future. And then eventually what will happen is over time you can build trust and say, oh, yeah, this person is different. Ideally, you would also get some sort of emotional clearing session, some sort of therapeutic session to release some of the past trauma could also be helpful. Yeah. Along those same lines, and this is actually almost the opposite side of that, kind of actually <laughs> one of our leaders is actually dealing with this right now. And it's kind of what I call, and I'm going I'm to give it a name. I don't know that you people in the relationship folks have given it this name, but I'm going to give it a new name and it's probably a name that's similar, but it's what I call the fairy tale syndrome. And let me explain what the fairy tale syndrome is. It's when you've been in a great relationship. So it's kind of like that, you know, uh, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, uh, kind of Prince Charming. That's what I was looking for, the Prince Charming situation. So you've been in a situation with your Prince Charming and all of that. And then for whatever reasons, usually, uh, you know, health and things of that nature, the Prince Charming is gone. Because actually, I know that one of our founders recently lost her husband and everything but definitely the way she describes him he was like the love of her life and everything mm -hmm. and i'm starting to wonder 
And like I said, you know, no interest on my side and everything. But I am wondering, as she goes on in life, will she even be able to get into a new relationship should she decide to? And like I said, they were together forever because you oftentimes hear about the folks that, you know, oftentimes leave each other in terms of leaving this planet and leaving life similar because they've been together forever. But then I sometimes wonder, is part of that that they don't give themselves space to develop a new relationship because they felt that that relationship was quote unquote so perfect and everything of that nature. And I don't know all the details of their relationship, but I do know that she speaks highly of that person. So, and like I said, this is fairly new, the loss of this person, but should say five, 10 years from now, she wanted, or even five, 10 months from now, she wanted to get into a relationship. I am wondering, would that cause problems within the relationship? Because that person is going to have to live up to the standards of the person that she had this great ideal for. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that this can be a challenging situation. She can be putting the person that passed, like her her husband, on right. a pedestal. And he, you know, even especially if they pass and you're a widow, you might even elevate them to a higher level than they were in, in reality. Like, wow, this was amazing. Everything was perfect. And so like you're saying, you have this kind of complex around idealism and I have to have this amazing person to be okay. And so I think the only way to really break that down is actually, again, to bring awareness into that and be like, okay, these were all the strengths and be you know, the beauty of my, you know, deceased partner or my ex-partner, if there was actually a divorce in, in, you know, in as part of this, this is the beauty there. This was amazing. And also there probably were some things that actually weren't as ideal. And what were they like to start bringing more reality in after the healing has happened? Obviously, if you've just lost somebody, she's going to be going through a grieving process right. and that grieving process can be fairly long. And I don't think anybody should rush into another relationship after that anyway. But I do think there's something about wanting to ground and really be like, what was real about this relationship? And that may be some self-exploration for her to do in the future. Um, and the, the, I think it's also important for her to just get clear on what, it, what her criteria are for a relationship. One of the things that I say, one of the six pillars, I think, of a healthy relationship is the vision. Is that it's really important for you to have a vision of what you want your relationship to be, whether you're creating a new relationship in your life or already in a relationship. So it's important for her to have a vision and make sure that vision is somewhat grounded in reality too, obviously. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams of 480p. 40 gigs high speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at tmobile.com. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. When you say a vision, uh, sometimes people will say that uh, they want their ideal person and all of that. And I sometimes think that we create too much of an ideal person, almost like an unrealistic um, 
stereotype of what we want and all of that. So when you say a vision, are you saying that like the person should say that they want, um, and a lot of times, even on dating profiles, you'll see it like, you know, I only want to date, um, you know, uh, Caucasians, or I only want to date African-Americans. And if you don't, and they'll name all these different things and basically say, if you don't follow within this category, don't bother to get in touch with me because you're not following in whatever this um, image that I have, this image of what my uh, spouse will look like. Is that the kind of vision that we're talking about? Or is that an unhealthy vision? Because I oftentimes think that love comes in all kinds of shapes and colors and you never know when that um, Cupid arrow might hit you and everything. And sometimes it may shock you because it may not be the person that you were thinking it was. I remember that as a young man, I definitely would sometimes write off people for simple things. I remember there was a young lady that um, I thought was incredibly cute and everything. And then as I got to know her, I realized that she had a, um, a slight uh, mole on her nose and everything. And that all of a sudden became like a um, a, a, a breaking point. It's like, oh, can't talk to her because like I said, it's not the image that I'm looking for. Now, you know, I'm, I'm older now and definitely wiser and got my own issues, you know, uh, gray in hair and also receding hair on some degree and definitely not the uh, thin person that I was probably back then. And even then I wasn't overly thin, but definitely I probably had my own issues and everything. <laughs> but I do know that there were times that I have written off folks because they weren't the um, physical look that I was looking for as a young man. And like I said, I've definitely been part of those um, dating sites in, in got a profile on a couple of them now. So like I said, I know about those sites. So I do know how people have those attitudes of like, you know, they want a certain race, a certain color, a certain age range. But I was wondering, is that what we're talking about when we say a vision? Well, that wasn't exactly, that's more like relationship criteria, but let's talk about that a second, because I do think that the pendulum can swing too far in it. So basically what I, what I always, when I work with somebody on like creating a new relationship is writing down, not the key criteria just on a physical level, like how do they look, um, but also just the criteria of like, what do you actually want in a relationship? You know, what kind of emotional support do you want somebody who, you know, is that is really available as a lot of time to spend with you? Do you need somebody who has, do you want children? Do you not want children? Also more on, I think the fundamental levels and then what you want to really do. So I say it's, you want to look at the physical criteria, the emotional criteria, um, I think spiritual criteria, mental criteria, like all the different aspects of being human. And then you want to look at what are really key and important for you to be happy. Obviously, I think the physical, if you're going into like they have to have this color hair or they have to be this tall, that can be very superficial and kind of hold you back possibly from a connection that would be beautiful. So there is a happy middle in this. However, on the other side, if you don't have any criteria at all, you can oftentimes find yourself settling and thinking, why didn't I get what I really wanted here? Like, and it was something important. Maybe you want to travel the world and travel is really key. But, and and if you meet somebody who were, they don't want to travel the world, that actually ends up being a serious issue in the relationship. So you do have to have some alignment as far as vision and values. What I mean by vision is what do you want to have as a couple? What kind of life do you want to have? What is it going to look like? You know, what's your day-to-day going to look like? What's your goals for your relationship? How do you want to support each other in growth? It's more like that sort of thing. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and everything. Even that, I oftentimes wonder. Like I said, I don't have any kids of my own. I have two nephews um, that are by my uh, younger brother and everything, and his ex-wife. But um, and then they, him and his lady friend, have what I call the Brady Bunch relationship because they've got my two, my brother and his two kids, and then her and her two kids. So they do like that whole Brady Bunch mix and all. But one of the things I sometimes wonder about coming back to the kid aspect is how important is it to have the conversation in a relationship about kids in terms of like, if you're dating somebody with kids, I've always been of the opinion and this is kind of like a running joke that I have is that um, I will tell folks that, you know, I'm still trying to decide if I like you before we even get into the conversation about whether we're even going to bring the kids into the conversation. Cause I still, Got to make a decision, one, whether it was going to be a relationship with you before we start bringing in a family, or in some cases, I've gotten older, a grand family. Because like I said, at 59, there are some of the folks that I'm talking to in their 40s and 50s that definitely have it. So definitely, what is your thoughts about the nature of kids within the relationship? And I'm going to get to a really interesting topic with the nature of um, societal groups. I'll put it that way, and I'll name one in particular after you talk about the children. Yeah, so I think as far as the children go, because they impact the relationship to such a large degree, for instance, obviously women over a certain age, it's, it's hard to have children, for instance. It's, it's you know, the fertility issue comes into play. Um, and if you are a man who wants to have children and you are not able to, I mean, a woman isn't able to because she's maybe in menopause or not, doesn't have the fertility ability. So I, I think that that's such a key component that at least to be in alignment on what you want with kids, it's different than going off and meeting the kids right away, right? Yeah. Or, or having that kind of level of interaction. Because I do think it's important to first determine if you're a good match before you bring the kids into the relationship. But I do, I believe that that criteria on kids, whether you want kids, how old the kids, if you're, for instance, dating and you're 40 or 50 and whoever you're dating might already have children. Are you okay with young kids and starting like a whole family thing over again if you already have adult children? Or, you know, or would you prefer to have teenagers? Or are you just like, hey, I did the kid thing. I'm ready now to have a life without children. That is so key, I think, to the um, just to the vision of the couple and how your day-to-day -day life is that the alignment is pretty important. And I really don't, I think that we spend a lot of time dating and trying to figure out if there's chemistry without looking at just the foundation of, is there really a core alignment here? Does that make sense? Of course you have to have chemistry, but if you have a real difference of opinion about children or where you want to live or something fundamental, it, it creates a lot of havoc. No, I definitely agree that it creates all kinds of crazy havoc and all of that. Now, the thing that I was going to talk about in terms of social institutions and everything is that a lot of times, um, particularly in the South, there's a lot of Christian churches, but not just Christian churches. I would argue it probably even exists in the Muslim faith and the um, Jewish faith and even Buddhist and Hindu. Actually, I know it exists. And so those Eastern faiths and everything, because a lot of times those are arranged marriages and arranged relationships. But definitely in the, the Christian community, sometimes you will date folks that are very religious and then they will try to bring you into their church family. And in bringing you into church family, then the church family tries to play a role in the relationship as well. Because I know a couple of times that I've gone into relationships with people that were very much religious, very much into their church. And as soon as you stepped into the 
church grounds, you know, they were ready to marry you off right then and there and ready to have you involved in the whole marriage situation. And once again, it was one of them cases of I'm like going like, I know that you claim you're a prophet. I know that you claim that you can do this and everything, but I still got to figure out whether I like this person before we even get into whether I'm going to start coming to your church and being involved in your church. But you do have a lot of those church folks that are trying to engage you. And sometimes it's for their own selfish reasons because they might want you to be involved in their churches, but they definitely want you to give financial support to the church, but they may also have like some visions of what they want you to do within the church. But I know that's happened to me at least a few times. So what are your thoughts about how to handle um, spirituality and religion in relationships as well? That's where that whole conversation was going. I mean, I think this is one of the, the keys to a happy, healthy relationship is an alignment on your spirituality, an alignment with your religious beliefs, your faith, because that's so key to, to happiness. And if you're not in alignment and you don't have the same sort of belief systems on that front, I think it's really can be challenging. And if you're open to your partner's belief or you're not quite sure because you don't you haven't had a lot of experience with that particular church or affiliation or group, then I think it's also important right up front to say, hey, I'm open and I need those some time to explore this and I don't want to rush in. Like, again, it's all about communicating exactly where you are with this sort of clarity. But one of the things that I did when I was dating online, it was almost right away, was get clear about whether or not our spiritual religious beliefs were in alignment. It was one of my top criteria. So I, I believe strongly in, in, in really having those conversations in the first couple of dates. No, and that makes a lot of sense. I've actually had been surprised by some folks that were of different religious beliefs, but actually seemed to work well as a couple. And I think part of that is because they communicated their differences early. I know that I've got a friend of mine that is, um, she just recently lost her mother who was in her late, uh, early hundreds, like 100, 300 and wow. four. But um, definitely, um, and she was married late in life as well. I want to say that when uh, Gwen got married, she might have been in her 50s or 60s, but I married a gentleman that was actually, I think, a few years, um, actually maybe even a decade, but definitely younger than her and everything. But he was of the Muslim faith, and she was Christian and had been raised Christian. But they had had that whole conversation very early in the relationship. And the last time I checked, they were still together and still seemed to be very much attached to each other and all of that. So I've even seen people not just of different faiths within a, um, a style of religion, be that Christianity or uh, Buddhism or um, Islam or things of that nature, but folks that have actually lived totally different denominations, but they gave each other the respect of understanding. I think they've attended each other's services on times. Like I said, I know that the uh, Islam faith can be very much, very, a lot of services of over several days and everything whereas you know most christian churches are maybe two or three days out of the week so there might have been more meetings on his side than on hers is what i'm trying to say but they still respect it and i want to say they've attended each other's services at least um, a few times so it seems to me that it is possible even for folks of different faiths to get along just like it's possible for folks of different races and different other styles to get along as well so uh, okay. would you agree with that Oh, 100%. Of course, you can be happy in a relationship with somebody of different faiths and different spirituality. Um, as specifically, if you have conversations where you can find the similarities between your faiths or where you can relax into it and really see the value and beauty of the other faith. If that's something that you're open to and feels good, then I think both parties, it can really work. And again, this is such an individual thing because the level of importance in your faith and how it, that particularly shows up in your life 
can be very, I mean, it really differs individual from, to individual, right? So I just think that, again, it goes back to this thing about conversation. Have these conversations up front and be really clear about what your faith means to you and how it shows up, what your values are and so forth in it. And then if you have that with your partner, you can also then get the sense of like, oh, yeah, this makes sense to me. I can I can be open to this. Or, I mean, just check out how you feel about it yourself. Because, like, it's really an individual thing, in my opinion. No, I agree. Really have those conversations. Yeah. And, and speaking of conversations, a lot of times, even um, conversations around sexuality can also be something that has to be had as well. Because I know that we have all heard the stories of the gentlemen and the women that are um, living one lifestyle, but maybe telling folks that they're living another lifestyle, that whole conversation about the <laughs> gentlemen and the women that are living, I think the expression is down low and things of that nature and everything. But then you've also had on the opposite side of that, um, folks that are very open about what they're doing. Cause I do have friends that are, I know one friend that is here in North Carolina that is in a polygamous relationship and has got their two partners, but they definitely told both of the partners from jump that what was going on in their relationship, their thoughts on polygamy and all of that. So they were uh, living that style of lifestyle. And I also have some friends that are swingers and definitely let their partners know at the beginning of the relationship, that this is what I'm about. You know, I'm about being involved in this kind of lifestyle. So I think that that kind of conversations need to be had. And the polygamists and the swingers that I have known seem to have been more open about it. And that's a good thing because I think that otherwise you wind up getting caught in traps where folks don't know what they're getting into because you haven't told them like the down low brothers and the down low sisters. So I just wanted your thoughts about that and how you encourage people to be truthful about whatever they're doing on their sexual front as well. Oh, a hundred percent. So your whole set, the sexual aspect, your sexuality is definitely one of the places to also have criteria. Like what do I want as far as that in my partnership? Do I want a monogamous relationship, a polyamory relationship? Am I open to polygamy? What, you know, what am I open to? Open to open relationships, whatever it is. I mean, because I think it's important to just get clear on what you want first and then to have that conversation with a partner and be authentic from the beginning. I think it's showing up as your authentic self and being willing to be real, even if there are possible consequences. Because what happens in the beginning of dating, especially, is that you get scared to show too much of yourself sometimes because you're afraid it's going to stop the amazing magic or chemistry you have. I would recommend it still those that's the time it's the first few dates to get real about what you are wanting in a relationship, who you are from a sexual perspective, you know, on all fronts, because that's the only way you're going to end up having a really good match and, and, and pushing somebody else or telling somebody else too late in the story. That's when this trauma and this drama happens because they feel like they've been, you know, misled and they, and they start not trusting you because you didn't show up 100% as yourself at the beginning. Like, this is what I want, I'm like, from a sexual perspective, but this is who I am sexually. This is, you know, what I like and so forth. So the more you can be authentic and honest, that intimacy can be created because, you know, into me, see, really allowing somebody to see who you are is the key to a relationship success is to be able to take down those masks, take off the masks you know, you're wearing and, you know, open your heart and allow somebody to really see who you are. 
No, that makes a lot of sense. One of the other things that I'm oftentimes fascinated by, and I was actually talking to Asia on the other show earlier about and everything, is a lot of times, um, particularly uh, women, but there are also guys that go through it as well, are very much successful and they are driven by their success. They love being successful and all of that. But there are guys out there that are intimidated by their success. And there are also women that are intimidated by guys' success as well. So what are some of your advice that you give to women that are, and men, that are highly successful, but they do have that, um, you know, there are folks out there that when they start dating, they don't give them that due respect because they are intimidated by them, to be perfectly honest. Because I know some women even here that have uh, found uh, people sometimes in their same cultural um, community, meaning if they're African-American women, that the African-American men are intimidated by them. So they sometimes wind up dating outside of that circle because they find that the guys are intimidated. But definitely sometimes success leads to intimidation. So when you find that that's going on in relationships, what are some of the ways that you suggest as a counselor for folks to deal with that? Yeah. So as a coach, um, well, one of the most important things is that it's important for you to continue to show up as your authentic self and not be somehow thinking, oh, I need to dim my light. I need to take it down a notch. I was in a relationship my ex with my ex, and he had this energy of like, tone it down. You're too strong. You're too strong. And there was a time when I actually did that. I was like, oh, I need to play small because I'm too, too much. That is never going to lead to happiness in the relationship. So one thing is definitely stand in your power. And, and it's okay to be as strong as you are, to show up as much as you are. I mean, honor that. And as far as somebody else who can't handle your strength or your power, your trust, all that all that is about is that it brings up stuff in them. It, there's stuff that's unresolved about their own power their own ability to show up in the world, their own ability to, to be, you know, whoever they want to be. And so there's two ways to work with that. One is to explore this with curiosity. I, I love curiosity. I think exploration with curiosity is super important to be able to have conversations with your partner about, Hey, I'm really curious about, about you and how you feel about power and what, what it would look like for you to have more power in your life and how you feel about me having power and have conversations about, about being in one's power. Because what that will do is that will help shine light into this area and create awareness where there was no awareness before, where there was just old behavior patterns operating. Probably most of the people who are pushing away people, their partner, because their partner is too powerful. It's just that it reminds them of people in their past, possibly a parent who was really powerful and they felt diminished because of that. Uh, perhaps there was a colleague or an ex girlfriend or boyfriend. What I'm trying to say is most of the time it reminds them of somebody from the past. So this is an example of the relationship baggage coming in and disturbing it. So explore this and get really clear on like what's really happening. Why is this person kind of concerned about your power? What do they think it's going to do to their power? It, are they afraid it's, a, it's going to decrease their ability to show up powerfully? So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is what I call championing your partner. Become a champion for your partner. If you're a powerful person, then allow that to support your partner in being more powerful because that's what they want. They want to feel more powerful, more successful and accomplish their goals. So I have like a four step process that I discuss with my clients about championing your partner. But you can really be an amazing support to your partner and be like, hey, what is it you really want to do? 
let's help you get there. Let me let me support you in, in, in doing whatever goals or ideas you have or ways you want to show up in the world that you're currently not doing. And that will take the focus, I think, off of this. It's almost like there's a jealousy that's in play. That makes a lot of sense. One of the other things that I know that people try to do, and I was wondering your thoughts on this, I'm not a big fan of it, is sometimes I feel that folks try to uh, reinvent themselves, meaning that if they find a partner that loves chess, then they all of a sudden are going to try to learn everything that they can about the chess game and everything of that nature. If they find that they've got a partner that loves going to the minor league baseball, then all of a sudden they're going to want to go to minor league baseball all the time and things of that nature, or if they find that they've got a partner that is into uh, walks in the park, then they want to start going to walks in the park, even though then truth, they really hate insects and all of that other kind of stuff. So there's folks that try to reinvent themselves to fit in the mold of what they think the partner wants based on the partner's interests. So what are your thoughts about that? And is it, am I correct in thinking that that's something that we shouldn't be trying to do? Because I do see a lot of folks that will, you know, I'm into blues music. So somebody might come and be like, you know, start doing research onto blues music because they know that that's something that I love and everything. Sometimes they might even do it and find out that it's can also be kind of a backwards way of doing it because while I love blues, blues music, I don't even know myself all the blues artists. So sometimes you can even over reinvent yourself because I've also had folks come back to me and be like, well, you know, so-and-so and they've done all their research and are telling me about all these songs and I don't have that kind of memory. Yeah. Even though I DJ, I don't have the memory of knowing every song. And then, so then they're looking at me like, but you're the blues guy. Why don't you know this? And I'm going like, yeah, I like my blues music. It doesn't mean that I know all the songs. <laughs> Yeah, well, again, you can go way too far with this. So I think there's two levels. There's the level of curiosity and get an exploration like, oh, you have an interest that I know nothing about. Maybe I'll open the door and see if I like it, see if this inspires me, if it adds richness to my life. But pretending that you know more than you do, pretending to care more than you do about it, that I think is misleading and doesn't go very far. I think it's good to be honest and be like, you know what? At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams of 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. I'm really not that into blues, but I'm willing to listen to some and see if I like it. You know, that kind of energy, like me and my partner, um, he is, you know, he is a jazz pianist. I know nothing about jazz music. And from the beginning, I was like, I know nothing about jazz. I'm never going to know anything about jazz, but it sounds nice when you play the piano. That's pre pretty much how I show up. And I think that's just about, again, being super authentic. And, and, and if somebody has different interests and you feel inclined to explore it, 
explore it to some degree, but to pretend you know more about it or really care about it or try to become a different person in order to fit in or to be loved or accepted by them, I think that's when you can make a big mistake. I know I, I've done that in my life when I was younger and in my 20s and 30s dating. I, I did things like that. Oh, I'm going to try to be you know, more than I am here. I'm going to try to be more outdoorsy than I am or more whatever it is. And that always fails because in the end, you, you have to get real and be like, you know, I really don't like this that much. Right. So <laughs> I agree with you on that topic. We don't want to go overboard and trying to change ourselves to fit into a relationship. No, I definitely agree that you don't want to do that overboard thing and everything. Now, in addition to um, the whole communication thing, and I do agree, and we've definitely explored that so far, um, and we'll explore it more. But definitely in addition to communication, another thing that people always talk about in relationships is the importance of humor, the importance of comedy, and the importance of definitely having a sense of humor, both about the relationships and just about life in general. So how important in your mind is it to have to add that aspect of a sense of humor? And also uh, along those same lines, how important is it to have a sense of adventure? Because I do know that sometimes folks will try to talk about adventure and having that sense of adventure in the, the relationship, not so much wanting to go like Mount Kilimanjaro, but just a sense of adventure within the relationship itself. So how important do you think it is, one, to have a sense of humor, and two, to have a um, sense of adventure just in life? Oh, I think both of those are key. I, I put this under the pillar. I mean, there's six pillars that I sort of work with. I put it under what I call the play pillar, pillar of play. Um, because I feel that it's important in a relationship to have this component of play. So that gets the laughter and the adventure. It taps into the more childlike part of ourselves that needs spontaneity, that needs newness and, and fun and doing something just to do it for the fun of it without utility, without purpose. And that I think when you tap into that childlike part of yourself and you do new activities for fun, whether it's having a picnic in the moonlight or um, whether it's rollerblading or going skiing or whatever it is, if you do those activities together, you naturally go into that humor side. You naturally get into laughter because laughter is that lightness. Laughter comes from that childlike self. You know how children are always laughing, right? I really believe that we're, when we're laughing, we're in that more playful, childlike part of us. And so you can foster more of that lightheartedness by doing these playful activities together, by being adventurous, by going on unexpected or spontaneous trips or whatever it is for you. I think it's great to sit down with your partner, and I often recommend this, and figure out what does fun mean for you? What does fun mean for me? What can we do that is fun? Like really explore the whole dimension of fun. Because as humans, especially as adult humans, the older we get, we tend to get more serious about life, take things more seriously. And it's and so important to add back in fun, whether it's dancing. I mean, for me, dancing, I love to dance and it really brings out that joyful childlike self. Um, and because I think you're super present when you're fun and when you're having fun, you're like in the present moment, really experiencing life. And, and when couples can do that together, it brings them back just to the pure joy of being versus all these have to do's, these agendas we have in our lives. Now, you hear sometimes people say in relationships, there are certain topics that you should not talk about. I actually disagree, but part of that is I consider myself to be an activist. So part of my activism means that one of those topics is going to wind up getting talked about to some degree 
or another. But what do you say to those folks that tell you that you should not have conversations around um, religion, uh, politics, and sometimes people will throw in uh, sex, but definitely religion and politics into the conversation. And some people might even throw sports into it because those are hot button topics and hot button issues and all of that. So what do you say to those folks that tell you that you shouldn't bring up hot button topics within the relationships? I I agree with you that I think it's important to bring up whatever topic is near and dear to your heart, no matter what that topic is. Like whether it's politics, whether it's whatever it is, sports, religion, what I do think is important is to be able to bring it up in a way that's more open, that's open-minded and more of, again, a place of curiosity and exploration. Like, I'm just really curious how you feel about this. This is my opinion. How do you feel? And if you can have those exchanges where it's coming from a place of exploration and like, hey, what are the similarities and what are their differences versus having to make a, a point and having to try to change somebody else's opinion, then you create connection. I think you create disconnection, distance when it feels like you're having the conversation to try to convert somebody over to your side of thinking. And that's when I, I think well, that's why some people say don't have the conversation because they're afraid it will create disconnection. Yeah. They're afraid it's going to create disconnection or they're afraid that they'll find out that they don't get along with the person because they don't have the same um, belief systems in those regards. Cause there are some things that folks are, diehard believers in, whether that's the death penalty, whether that's certain people's views on abortion, whether that's certain people's views around whether the police have too much force or not enough force or things along those lines. So I think that there's also that push where folks are afraid that it might be a um, pressing point and all of that. Like I can give an example. I've got a very good friend uh, dated on several occasions and everything. And it definitely, um, I am a big fan of AOC just because I like her spunkiness and her attitude and all of that, but they feel that they have not earned enough in the political landscape. So they feel that they have not done enough, um, earned their stripes because they used to work in the political field. So we just respectively agree to disagree because like I said, I'm a fan of Alexandria Ortega Cortez and they definitely are not. So like I said, we just kind of respect um, the fact that we will not agree on that, at least not now. I, that's what I was just going exact the same place is if, if you can just respect the fact that you're going to disagree, then it's fine. I really do believe, though, it's important in our society to be real about our opinions in a way that fosters connection and that fosters communication and, and conversations of curiosity. Like, why do you believe differently than I believe? Because I just really want to know. I personally feel that a lot of people are um sometimes just too blunt with their opinions and not wanting to listen to other people. And that's, what's creating conflict. So I think it's important to say, Hey, can I have just a conversation to find out where somebody else is on this topic? And if you're in dating, have those conversations early again, if something's super important to you and you're an activist in a certain area and you really are trying to make a change in the world in a certain way, whether it's, you know, whatever, whether it's environmental change, then make sure you have that conversation right up front because that's something that's near and dear to your heart. And if there's a big difference, it may be a red flag for you. It may be some thing that you can't actually get past, which is very different than having a conversation about something where it's okay to disagree. You're like, okay, it's fine if my partner doesn't exactly agree on that topic. So I think that there's 
points and criteria that are super important to be in alignment with depending on who you are and other ones that you're like, yeah, I'm okay with that. That's my opinion on it. And we all have differences. And so you're not going to find somebody who's exactly identical to you. I mean, and that's good. It would be really boring, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be very boring if they were all identical to everybody and everything. But the other thing is that, and I oftentimes find this fascinating as well, is that sometimes you'll have folks, because I've got friends that have some very interesting viewpoints about life, including some interesting viewpoints about, um, you know, maybe things as far as like alien lifestyles and intergalactic kind of travels and things of that nature. And I sometimes wonder um, if folks come even from what some folks may call extreme views, do you just kind of like dismiss their views? Or if you're dating them, do you just kind of like, as you were just saying, hear why they have the views that they have, even if you don't necessarily 100% understand where they're coming from or might not even be able to totally fathom where they're coming from but or how do you handle those kind of situations because you do have some folks that have some unique viewpoints about life and things about their own lives and their own upbringings and just their viewpoints of the entire universe that we live in yeah that's for sure and it's it's great that people have different viewpoints and we because nobody really knows the truth about you know, everything or anything really. Um, so I think it has to do again with getting curious and exploring it and then determining um, how, you know, how you feel about this. How do you feel about the other person believing in this? And if it's something that, like, it's okay if they believe that, that's fine. But if it's something where you feel that they're really, I don't know, obsessed about it and it's going to really impact your life together, you know, this is, they're an activist for this particular cause or this belief or something that's really kind of extreme, then that may be something that you can't have in your relationship. It might not work for you personally. There's nothing wrong with it again. It just may not work for you. So again, I think it's all about what I call sorting versus settling. Just, you know, this is what I, you know, teach a lot of my clients or talk about when they're dating is how do you sort through partners, potential partners when you're going on dating? Like, hey, how well do we fit? How How's the match? How's the criteria? And how do I feel in their presence? How do I feel emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, sexually? How do I feel versus, so you're sorting versus like settling for somebody who comes along where you have some good things happening, but you haven't really explored some other realms that may be important. It's interesting that you bring up that concept of sorting versus settling. I also want to get to your book, but before we get to that, sorting versus settling, because I sometimes feel, even in my own life, that I have um, settled in relationships, meaning that I have not gone after the women in my life that I thought could have been the, the ones that would be great romantic partners because of fear, fear of rejection, mm. fear of them saying no, fear of a number of reasons and everything. And then you wind up settling for the one that you get and everything. And then sometimes you regret that because even while you're in the midst of that relationship, you're going like, um, well, I should be with that. And I've even known in the past that there were some people that, um, and some of them are going on to their own marriages and their own relationships. So they are definitely unacceptable, un unreachable now. But even within the course of the settled relationship, I would make it aware that I was um, had somebody else that I thought was even better than the partner that I was involved with, even while I was settling. So sometimes I would settle and even let the person I was settling with know that I was settling and all of that. So I was just wondering, what are some of your thoughts about the fact of being intimidated? Because sometimes, you know, it's that coming back to what we were talking about earlier, that intimidation factor where you don't want to go after the person that's got a, um, a job that maybe is much better than yours in terms of income or has got a 
you know, is the all-star in terms of looks and all of that and things of that nature. And you just are feeling that you can't live up to their expectation even before you get a chance to go into it. It even comes back to like the business conversation because I've had conversations with business friends of mine where we talk about um, in the business world, uh, getting fired before you even go for the job, meaning that there's a job availability and you fire yourself by not applying for the job. And I would say that the same thing happens in relationships. Yeah. Just like we fire ourselves from jobs by not applying, we sometimes fire ourselves from relationships by not applying. Because how do you know whether you're going to be in even acceptable or whether that person finds you as attractive as you find them if you don't at least make the pitch. And uh, there is that thing of shyness. And sometimes it's a shyness factor. Sometimes it's an intimidation factor. So I just wondering what are some of your thoughts when you hear people that are going through those situations where they are, they have folks that they think are attractive, maybe that look attractive or um, personality attractive, or maybe it's a combination of all of those attractions, but they don't really go after them. Yeah, I mean, this is a very important point. I think that the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, both of those fears holds us back from really going for what we want in life, just point blank. In the relationship realm, a lot of times we are afraid of hearing the words no, or I don't want to go out with you, I'm not interested in you. And just hearing those words, we're afraid of those words. When if we really sit down and, and think about it, how bad is it actually for somebody to say that to you? Can you survive? Is that okay to hear? So I, some things I do with my clients actually is work with them and being okay with hearing the words, no, we are not a good match. We are not a good fit. It's so important to practice putting yourself out there and being okay with actually hearing, no, we're not a good match, we're not a good fit. Because if you don't put yourself out there, you're never going to be able to meet the person who does match you. And, and the fact of the matter is, how bad is it really? Maybe there's a couple moments or maybe a day or two where you're sad or disappointed or like, oh, I wish it had worked out. But there are many, many more people on all these dating sites, for instance, or that you can meet that could be the right person. And so I just, I ask people to really, you know, practice being okay with those fears. And I think fear is what holds us all back from success in all realms. And it's one of my favorite topics to talk about as a coach, because I've worked with people over 20 years around fear in particular, because fear has really held me back in my life. I actually have a book about it um, called The Golden Cage from Entrapment to Empowerment and how fear held me in my life back. <clears throat> And anyway, so the point in that is, is that if you take fear by the hand and befriend fear and say, okay, fear, you're along for the ride. Fear is going to be part of my dating experience. Fear is going to be part of my relationship experience. I may experience fear. I'm going to experience fear. There's nothing really wrong with fear. Fear is a part of life. And if I can accept it and bring it along and work with that energy, realize it's just energy. It doesn't have to keep holding you back from going after what you really want. No, that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> I know one of the other things that folks always have to get tired of. I know I've been tired of it in my life and everything, but I was wondering when you talk to your coaches and everything, how do you deal with the folks that fall into what I call the friend box? Meaning that they get those friends that love them as a friend, love them as a person and love them as a individual, but don't necessarily want to get involved with them romantically. So they automatically put them in the friend box for whatever reasons. And some of that may be their own fears, their own uh, 
draw back their own uh, whatever. So I, I don't know the various reasons that people get put in that friend box, but I know I've been placed in it a couple of times. So what are your thoughts about the friend box? Because it is a term that I didn't make up, but definitely and folks <laughs> getting placed in that friend box and how to cope with it. Oh, excellent question. I, definitely, uh, this is a very challenging area of relationships. And I've also been placed in that box. In fact, I had a conversation with somebody that I really wanted to date. And I went, went to him and I said, hey, you know, we've been friends for a long time, but I really find you attractive and I want to date you. And that was the, one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. I'm not going to tell you. I was petrified and I felt really uncomfortable. And his response was, you know what, Margo, I think you're beautiful. I think there's all these qualities, but you remind me too much of my mother. And that's why I can't date you. And but at least I then knew where we stood. I knew why we had never gone past friendship into dating. And so, again, what I really recommend, and this is not original at all, but is to actually get the courage up and have a conversation. If you really are attracted to somebody that you're friends with and say, hey, you know, I value you as a friend and I just want to have this conversation not to make you uncomfortable, but I want to be truthful that I feel there's a little bit more for me here than friendship. I'm curious about whether we could have more than friendship, whether there could be a romantic connection. How do you feel? And it's scary, yet it will create a shift. Either you will go be able to move into something beyond friendship, or at least you'll be able to have a conversation that is real and authentic, and your friendship could even deepen because of it. It doesn't have to destroy any relationships or have a negative impact if you do it in the right respective, respectful way, because it's really a compliment to the other person, right? Totally a compliment. Now, another thing that I've seen more and more of lately, and you actually kind of alluded to it earlier when we were talking about children and things of, of that nature, is in my mind, and I'm just wondering your thoughts about this as a relationship coach and everything, it seems that there was a time frame in history that, um, you know, the couples were very close to each other, both in terms of living near each other, but also in terms of age ranges. Like I said, my parents who are divorced, they've been divorced for many years, are like maybe three years apart from each other. Um, dad's current girlfriend, dad just turned 81, about to be 82. She's having her 76th birthday, so there's a six-year gap. It's fairly not that big of a gap and everything. And definitely, but as society has grown, as we've gone into the 21st century, now in the year 2021, and definitely as young people seem to have a different attitude altogether, the age differences don't seem to really bother young people as much. Because I'm seeing some folks in their 30s and 40s that are at least open to the possibilities of talking to folks in their, I'd even argue, 50s and 60s, but definitely within a 10 to 15 year range. And so I just wonder. Is that a misnomer on my part, wishful thinking on my part, or, you, or am I seeing more of that? Because even on the dating sites, I'm seeing folks that are open to being open to different styles of relationships, including age differences. But I was just wondering your thoughts. Yeah, I think that um, society in general, especially the long, younger generations, are just in general more open to differences. And I think right. that's a great thing. Differences in age, differences in sexuality, differences in religion. Dif I think that, that there's an openness that we may not have had before. And I don't know if this is 100% true, but I do believe that I've seen more of it, more. Let's just see how we connect and whether all of the other aspects are important, because the physical realm as far as age is really not that important, specifically the older you get. You know, what I mean, the differences feel like they're less. 
Um, so it's more about not being on the superficial, but maybe looking more at the deeper connections and deeper reasons why you're with somebody. There's honestly, when you when you're in a relationship where you really feel met on all these different levels, when you feel met emotionally, when you feel met spiritually and sexually and in a, even mentally met, then it doesn't, I don't think it really matters some of the external factors as much. It's really that meeting. And that's what I, I really spent most of my lifetime looking for before I found my, my beloved now, my partner, my soulmate, that I'm just like where I literally, I feel met like on all these levels. Whereas in many of the relationships, there was always one factor that was missing. Something was missing that I didn't feel met on. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and actually, I'm glad you brought up beloved and soulmates and all of that because I do have a question related to something that one of my um, play uh, relatives, and this is actually a play um, nephew, it talks about all the time because he's actually feeling that he's met his and he's a very young man. I think that the guy that works at the convenience store is in his uh, 25 age range. But before I get to his story, I was going to ask about long distance because a lot of times that's another thing that goes on in society particularly now with COVID and people being even more separated and everything. But how do you think that that's even feasible? Because I've sometimes wondered about that. But then I've seen folks that have been very successful in long distance relationships. Like I know one friend of mine that I think their partner was living in New York when they were like in the Carolinas. And then I've known people that have had long distance relationships that have been from the West Coast to the East Coast. But those do seem difficult because, you know, you do want to have some a physical connection with the person and definitely phone calls and even phone relationships can only go but so far. So I'm just wondering, in your mind, is long distance relationship even feasible or is that something that you need to be leaving to the fairy tales? I think the variety is a spice of life. I think that... We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. As our society, we are growing more and more into what really works for me. And there are so many different kinds of relationships out there. There's so many different um, aspects and ways of operating a relationship, ways of living or together or far apart. And I think it really comes down to the couple. What's important, I think you can live, you can have a long distance relationship if both members of the of the couplehood feel good about having a long distance relationship. If there is enough connection and they don't need a lot of physical time together. If that I would say is on the unusual side though of the spectrum, right? So I do think it can work for individuals yet again, that's something that needs to be set up pretty much at the beginning. Is this something we both feel comfortable? Because if you have one person who's, who's great living a, 
at a distance and the other person's not comfortable and just kind of putting up with it because they love the person, that's when you're going to find the relationship can break down because you're both not getting your needs met. So it's really, I think, an individual choice. Of course, it's more, I think, typical and a little bit easier to live closer together because that physical connection is so important. There is a little challenge that comes into being in a long distance relationship is that when you actually meet up physically, it's like you're on a holiday the whole time. It's like you're on a holiday weekend because, oh, hey, we only get to see each other for a half a weekend or a week or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then you're apart. So sometimes what happens is some of the deeper layers of communication that need to happen or experiences, they may be put off or not happening as often. And then things can build up where you do need to make sure that you create the time to have some of these deeper connections does that make sense versus keeping things to hey we're on a a fun vacation trip together if you're like meeting in different locations that's that's what i found can be challenging for people in that situation yeah that can be very challenging another thing that i know a lot of people have been thinking about within that relationship space and it even became a term and everything was everybody wants their space and everybody needs space. And I do agree that space is very important, whether you're living in the same house or whether you're living in separate houses. Like I said, my uh, dad and his lady love, and they've been together, I think for close to 20 years and everything, they live totally in separate houses, but they love spending time to each other. And definitely uh, the same right now with my brother and his uh, lady love. But even then I have friends that have, you know, they live in the same house and they have their designated, um, rooms that is their space even within the house and everything i forget the term i think it was called the man's room or something like that but they would have their space that is their space so even in your own situation and just in life in general how important do you think it is for the relationship and the couples to have their space their circle of friends their designated areas that are theirs as well and it isn't just um a a space for the relationship Yeah, I think that space is really important. Um, Obviously, space for yourself, space for your partner, and space for the relationship to flourish. So there's really three aspects. But what is, I think, the challenge is, again, it's the spectrum of space. Everybody's need for space is so different. Some people need a lot less space. I'm someone who needs a lot less space. I don't need a huge amount of space in a relationship. Some people need quite a bit of space. So if you put somebody who need doesn't need a lot of space with somebody who needs a lot who needs a ton of space, then that difference can lead to a huge amount of issues. So when my my ex-husband and I, we were really different. We were on the opposite side of the spectrum. And that actually created quite a bit of fights. I was constantly trying to get him to do more with me or spend more time with me than he actually felt like he needed to, you know, naturally. So that's one of the areas where I would put back on the criteria list, like how much space do you need and how much space is important to you? And then have that conversation kind of up front, like really kind of get clear, like, yeah, I need alone time every day or I want to have my own activities. I want to hang out with my own people that are completely separate, my own friendships. I, I need to hang out with my guys. I need to hang out with my girls, whatever that is really get clear on your need for space right up front. And so like, you know, my mother, for instance, and her partner, they live in different houses and they have for 20 some years and they're happy. And, and so everybody, I respect everybody has just different needs for space. I prefer to live with my partner. That's just who I am. And, um, but being able to acknowledge what you need is the key instead of just feeling like you have to settle for what your partner wants 
And if it is different, figure out how you can meet more in the middle. Like, okay, how can we create enough connection for you to feel like, oh, yeah, this is enough connection. And how can we create enough space for me to feel autonomy, to feel the space for creativity or whatever it is that that person is needing? Because the one other thing I want to put in about space is sometimes it can be misinterpreted space as you don't really want to be with me, as there's something wrong in the relationship. So it's important to understand why your partner wants space, more space than you, if you happen to be the one who doesn't need as much space. Because if you're making up stories and saying, oh, he doesn't really love me because he wants to hang out with his friends, that is probably could not be, might not be true. It just may be that he likes to hang out with his friends. And he wants to do that without you being around so that he can have that space and come back fulfilled in a different way. Because, you know, it doesn't make, I don't think this is something I believe strongly. I don't think you get all your needs met from one person. I mean, it's good to have friendship circles, to have activities outside of your relationship that fulfill your needs. No, I definitely agree with you on that. <clears throat> and the word I was looking for was man cave. I knew it was a simple man term. Man cave, yes. <laughs> yes, but everybody's been talking about the man cave. That's the word that I was looking for. <clears throat> Coming back to my friend, the uh, Eskimo is his uh, nickname. I'm trying to remember his real name. I think it's Demario, the gentleman that works at the convenience store. He's actually of the opinion that he has met his, um, and I've yet to meet the woman, so I can't make a judgment one way or the other, that he's met what he calls his twin flame. And I know that sometimes folks also I've heard that term soulmate and I've actually been of the opinion that you can have more than one soulmate in your life and everything. I think you can only have maybe one twin flame in your life, but what are some of the ways that one, do you think that I am correct that you can have more than one soulmate? Cause I don't think that a soulmate necessarily has to be strictly romantic and everything. And two, um, what are some of the ways that you know, that you are with the right person for your life. Like at what point you mentioned that the person you're with now is your beloved and everything. At what point did you realize that that was the person for you and that you will probably be spending the rest of your eternity with that person? So what are some of the signs to you that love actually exists? Because I sometimes think that a lot of times we fall in, uh, we fall in lust, we fall in infatuation, we fall in a number of other things. And I'm not even sure how many times I've actually been in love. So I was just wondering, what are some of the clues that you give that there is authentic love? Wow, what a great question. So um, first of all, you talk, I, I just want to answer the question about soulmates. Um, of course, this is a topic where, and now I cannot pretend to know the, the truth on this topic at all. Right. I can just tell you my own personal opinion about it. Um, I do believe there's more than one soulmate out there. I, I do believe that you can have that kind of connection with somebody where the, it's almost like you instantaneously really get each other on many levels. Right. And you just feel like, wow, we have so much similarity and we have this kind of unique ability to understand each other and support each other. And that's kind of how I would define the soulmate. And I have found quite a few cases in my experience where somebody meets somebody even young, like your friend, and there is this sort of instant recognition, like, wow, there's something really powerful about our relationship. that's just different. And there's this different level of connection that I'm used to having with anybody else. And that's sometimes what we can call the twin flame or soulmate. So that's my opinion about soulmates. I do believe that we have numerous of them, actually, and they can be romantic or not romantic, um, just those special connections. As far as how do you know if you're authentically in love? That's like 
<laughs> the million dollar question there, Mark, you really went for it. <laughs> um, so, well, my own personal experience is, is kind of similar to that feeling about the soulmate. There's like this, it happened really fast. In fact, in fact, it happened pretty much instantaneously, but then I, it, it deepened. So my experience was that I, when I met the, my beloved was that I had this experience like, wow, I feel really comfortable with this person. Wow. I really love connecting. Wow. There was a lot of like, Oh, this is so easy. So natural. So for me at the beginning, it's just so easy and natural. And I, and, we we uh, we I actually met him two weeks before I was going to go to Thailand for eight weeks, and so we had like five dates, and then I left for eight weeks, which created this this crazy thing inside of me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I finally met the man I think I'm meant to be with, and I'm going to Thailand. I won't be able to connect with him. I'm gonna. And what was really beautiful is I had to let go and surrender and be like, whatever happens, I'm going to Thailand and we'll see if our connection deepens while I'm gone or what happens. I had to let go. But anyway, that's a side note. But the point is that when I, when I did return from Thailand, we were able to deepen our connection. What I experienced was the following. This is what I believe is that I was able to really authentically just love exactly how he shows up. Like I love how he shows up and I'm not trying to change anything about him. I'm literally like, wow, I really get you. I really get that part of you. I really get that part of you. So for me, what I think this, this kind of authentic love is really about being able to love, appreciate, and accept all aspects of somebody. Even if there's aspects that you think, oh, those aren't the greatest aspects, but there's still this compassion and this understanding and this like, Hey, I really care about your well-being in it, even if it's an aspect that they may want to change or you might want to have slightly different. There seems to be this ability when you're in that kind of relationship to accept all you know, of that person, how they show up exactly. And there's no more this need for trying to change somebody. And I was always trying to change somebody before this. I just feel 100% sort of centered in the relationship and able to really um, be my authentic self. That's the second thing. I feel like I can be my authentic self and show up 100% as myself as well. So there's a showing up. I can show up 100% myself and they can show up 100%. And we both feel and know that we are loved for being who we are. <clears throat> you just mentioned something that I know I feel that people try to do all too often. And I'm glad that you admitted that you try to do it in your past relationships and everything. But <laughs> when you're giving counseling and everything, what do you tell folks that are constantly trying to change folks? Now, I do believe that it's okay to change people if they've got bad habits. Like I am sitting here looking at my apartment and saying, oh, well, there's a bunch of papers down there that probably need to be cleaned. So I do not claim to be the neatest person in the world. Probably have a little bit of Oscar in me versus Felix and all of that. So, you know, somebody comes and wants to change that and give me good advice on, uh, you know, organization and things along those lines. I can definitely agree with that. But then there are other things that are, you know, naturally part of me that will always be part of me. And I don't necessarily want folks to try to change them all the time and everything. So I do think that there is constructive change. And then there are folks that are just trying to change you to fit into their mold and all of that. So in, as a relationship counselor, what are some of the ways that you try to encourage people to deal with change? Because I think that that is something that we oftentimes face is we have folks that are constantly trying to change us for whatever reasons. Yeah, as a relationship coach, one, so 
the biggest trap that many people fall into is this whole project focus. Like, oh, this person has the potential to be the perfect mate or partner and that they find these things that they're going to change about them. And they, like they start on these projects. If you enter a relationship, like here are all the things I want to change about someone, you are never going to be happy in that relationship. I believe it's what's important is, is to be clear and acknowledge the things that you might not like as much. Okay. That's okay to not like certain things. And then to ask yourself, could I be okay with this thing I don't like if they never changed? And if that's a yes, I could be okay that you're messy, Mark. It's okay. I don't love it. But yeah, I can be okay with that. Then that can work as a relationship. Because you can later on have conversations like, hey, what about if we did this? Would that help you with, you know, the mess? Gentle sort of suggestions or ideas or brainstorming, or, you know, opening up, especially finding out does your partner want to make a change in that area but for you to try to change your partner when your partner does not want to make any changes in that area is going to lead to relationship challenges and issues i unfortunately i spent at least two or three of my long-term relationships unfortunately trying to change my partner try well i had an example one of them i he was a workaholic and i kept trying to get him not to work as much like hey you need to stop working at six o'clock And that trying to change him, I think, ruined the relationship. I was not okay from the beginning, probably with the amount of time that he wanted to devote to work. And that was something that I needed to just come out and say, you know what, I'm really not okay with this versus trying to create a big project and thinking, oh, of course, I'll get him to change. And that, you know, it doesn't work. Changing somebody else does not work. So it's really about, are you okay with how they are exactly as they are? And it's so beautiful when you can be okay with somebody, how they are and not try to change them whatsoever and have conversations around opportunities for growth. I mean, that you can do. No, I definitely agree with you that. I did, like I said, I wanted to come back to the book and I do know that it's the golden cage. And some people are probably wondering because you did mention it earlier, what is the golden cage and um, how do you identify your golden cage? I'm thinking we've probably been talking around some golden cages even in this conversation, but for folks that are listening, what is a golden cage and how do you identify what that cage is? Okay, so the golden cage is basically you build this around yourself out of fear. It's an energetic cage you put around yourself and it's because you're afraid to step outside of this. It protects you against rejection, failure, abandonment, or whatever that is. And I call it golden because from the outside, it looks really beautiful. It can be prestigious. It can be that you're comfortable in a, in a relationship cage. It can be that you're comfortable, that you've been married for 20 years, that you have routines in place, that you're financially stable with your partner. All of this can look gorgeous from the outside, but really you're unhappy inside. You're allowing the fear to build this cage around you, the fear of the unknown. And so you're staying stuck in a situation in your life where you're uncomfortable. So there can be ones in relationship where you've really outgrown a relationship. You're actually really uncomfortable in the relationship, or there can be like career golden cages. Like I had one when I worked for Procter and Gamble in Paris it was a very prestigious job. Everybody's like, wow, you're a brand manager in Paris. How could you not be happy? I was well paid and people, you know, it was glamorous, but I was miserable because I really wanted to have a different kind of career. I didn't really care how white the whites were with detergent. You know, I wanted to help people. So 
It's really looking at your life like where are you keeping yourself stuck and dreaming of some other possibility or wishing there was something else because you are afraid to venture out of your comfort zone. You're afraid to venture out of the cage that you've created out of your own fear. Well, that actually raises a question before we get to more of the book and everything. Can the cage be created by outside forces? And the reason I'm asking this is because I know that in my own life, my mother and I would argue my dad as well, as well as grandparents, are um, had some prestige, still have some prestige. Mom and dad created a radio station. Uh, mom and uh, mom went on to run a major uh, nonprofit here in the area, a major uh, trust fund, the Golden Leaf Foundation, and has also run for state office and done a number of other amazing things in her life and everything. Dad is a well-renowned artist in addition to founding that station with mom when they were together. And it has definitely been a past professor. And I have um, in our small rural town, mom's uh, parents were community leaders. I mean, grandma might've only been a cafeteria worker and granddad a farmer, but they were still considered community leaders and all of that. And definitely on dad's side, his dad was a biologist who's the head of Central's biology department is named after, and my grandmother was a pretty well-known uh, librarian here in the state of North Carolina, helping to create and one of the African-American libraries, and the only African-American library at the time, in Raleigh and everything, and also worked with the one here briefly in Durham. So as you can tell, there was a lot of prestige. So sometimes I find that folks reach out to me, even in the friendship circle, because they want to have those contacts with mom, because of course mom knows a lot of people, including our I think she knows our current governor. I know she knew a couple of the past governors and folks along those lines and definitely um, has known some of our state and even regional leaders, including Reverend Barber. And uh, they also know that I've got, because of some of the jobs I've had, including one of our cultural arts centers, some of those kind of contacts as well. So sometimes I feel that, you know, you have to be careful about why folks are reaching out to you. Are they reaching out to you because they're authentic in the, their friendship? Or because they think that you can get something for them and everything. And if I've sometimes wondered that maybe once or twice in relationships, but I've definitely wondered that among friends and all of that. So that sounds to me like that might be an example of a cage that might exist within my own life just because of the fact of prestige. But then there's the opposite of the golden cage because there are also weaknesses. Like I know that I have dysgraphia, which is a form of dyslexia. And I'm imagining there are probably things that are the opposite of the golden cage, which are the negative, whatever that opposite would be. So I know I've got dysgraphia, which is a form of dyslexia, and I know that I don't drive, and I'm a mass transit person. So sometimes in relationships, that's an opposite of the golden cage, because I do know that sometimes, you know, you have to be, I'm very forthright even in my relationships, because I'll tell women that I'm dating, even on those dating sites that, you know, I don't drive. And I have the uh, dysgraphia, and I'll tell some of the other weaknesses that I may have as well. I may not tell all of them at the beginning, but I try to be as open as I can be and remember all of those at the jump. But the, are those examples of golden cages, what I just described? Um, those are interesting. I've never really thought about it quite that way. I mean, I do believe that um, if you're staying, for me, it's if you're staying in a position or a place in your life, out of fear, you're probably in a golden cage. Um, if you have a natural sort of prestige or, you know, good things happening, you're kind of, and you're okay in that environment, and it doesn't feel like it's holding you back from success, 
then I think it's it's just a natural thing that's arisen because of your choices in your life and who you know, right. and, and that's beautiful and okay. And I, I think what it really is for me is if you're finding that you're staying stuck in an area of your life, then you may be experiencing a golden cage, something you may be dreaming of. And it could even be that you have a golden cage around your creativity. I'm not, I'm going to throw something else on relationship. I've met a lot of people who are like, oh, I can't paint. I can't write. I can't whatever it is. But they've always like, oh, I wish I could. I'd like to write a book. But then they're like, oh, no, I can't do that. And so they have a cage in their whole creativity area. And they're, they need to confront the fear of the unknown to move out into the world. So, ooh, can I, could I write? Could I actually write a book? And so you can have it in different areas of your life. For me, it was really impactful because I didn't realize how much I was stopping myself from pursuing my dreams in the area of relationships and career until I got like, wow, I'm holding back out of fear of the unknown, fear of, of what could happen if I left my comfort zone of this cage? Because it's it's something that we go, we, we're, we're comfortable, we're cozy in it. It's like, oh, I'm cozy here. Well, you're comfortable, that doesn't mean you're happy. You can be waking up every morning dreading, you know, work, dreading what you're up to, dreading facing the same situation that you've been trying to leave for, for many years. With MailChimp, you get a whole lot more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. That means you can connect your data to make more informed, smarter decisions. And you get powerful automation tools like our customer journey builder to ensure you never miss an opportunity to turn shoppers into loyal customers. So if you're ready to integrate your marketing and boost sales, get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And definitely there's that dread and all of that. Um, what are um, the five keys? Because you do mention the five keys as well. So what are those five keys to breaking down the golden cage once you get find out that you've got that cage? The five keys to breaking down the golden cage. Well, I'm, I'm, I may be really quick because we're at the end. But so for me, there's and I and I'm not sure if you're keeping some of your mind because there's more in my mind actually than five keys, but I'm going to go with the first ones. The first secret is to really become aware of your fear and to start looking at what is it that you're really afraid. So once you know that you're in a golden cage, you need to look at your fear. What fear is holding you back? In a relationship, it's often fear of the of being alone. Actually, that's I go that into into my book a lot. The fear of of, of you know being alone. The second one is 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 once you have the courage to start stepping out, and I say it's kind of like this, you're actually opening the door and you're standing there and you want to, I call it strengthening your wings to fly phase. So one is to be able to first grieve, grieve your golden cage, grieve what it was about, grieve that past relationship, grieve the career, because grieving is a really important thing to do before you step forward and move into the next phase of your life. So I, I talk a lot about, the process of 
allowing yourself to feel the emotion of letting go, letting go of the past, letting go of your dreams, what you wished you could have in that past relationship, right? So the next one that I think is very important is what I call moving from victimhood to empowerment. So if you're in a lot of times this golden case, there's a sense of kind of being a victim, like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything different. I'm trapped in here. Like, right. So we want to help you feel like, okay, I'm no longer a victim in my life. I have the ability to step into my power and go after my dreams and do what I really want to do, which goes into the next key, which is getting in touch with your heart's calling. Like, what do you really want to do? What's that thing that lays outside of the golden cage? Because once you've cleared away that all that fear and the grief and really worked through all of that kind of that victimhood, then it's about creating the new. Like, what do you want to step into? How can you listen to your heart? What's your truth at the core that's driving you forward? And then the the last step then is what I call going into baby steps, taking those heart-based baby steps. Like, okay, now that I know what my heart's calling is, how do I create a plan to take those baby steps forward and maybe even take what I call a leap of faith to be like, I'm ready, folks. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to step into a new phase of my life. I'm going to go on a trip around the world, whatever it is. So if that was really fast, Mark. <laughs> no, but then, then I was going by the uh, pilot letter and everything because some of the questions, most of them are from my uh my own mind and everything, but I do try to find out some of the things that y'all share on y'all's press releases as well. So the question that they had had was that mastering the five keys. So that actually came from the fine folks over there at Potted and everything, but definitely appreciate them trying to give us some guidance as well (laughs) and all of that. So, but the rest of them were all from my own. You were great. Loved them. Loved the questions. Great questions. Though I try to come up with some really important ones and all of that, because I know so many people are going through this and everything. How many clients do you have? And is it something that you feel folks actually do enough of? Because I am of the opinion that a lot of times we don't um, do enough. Well, a lot of us have fears of medical doctors, much less uh, dealing with our mental health and our relationship health. So I think that we probably all need coaching and all of that. I know I've got a dear friend, Kara Oker, who does some work here on the network as well as other places. And she's a um, health coach and definitely um, feels that a lot of times we don't do enough in that aspect. So do you feel that as a society, we do enough of even trying to develop our thoughts about relationships? And I would argue not just romantic relationships, but even our relationships with our parents, our relationships with our kids and our relationships with our friends and peers. Cause I feel that even though we're supposed to be in that relationship space, when we're in school and learning about relationships, I don't even feel that necessarily, you know, I have great respect for teachers and have teachers in my family. I don't know that we nurtured enough the relationship building. So how do you think as a society, a global society, even we are doing in terms of nurturing relationships and developing relationships? Oh, I think that we could use a lot of support in this area (laughs) Um, because I I believe that relationships, healthy relationships, the ability to communicate, the ability to feel listened, to be understood, to exchange different points of view is really fundamental to the health of our society. And if you think about it, how many classes did you take in high school or college about how to be in a relationship, right? 
Like it's not built into the fabric of our society. Like this is something we should all learn. How do we communicate with somebody when we're, we disagree with them? How do we end a conflict? What do we do when we have opposite opinions? All of those things we've never really been trained and we, we don't get trained automatically. And so then as adults, we, we find we have issues. Unfortunately, I think people may come to me a bit late, like already too many things have happened and they're finding themselves in a mess. And now they're like, oh, I need to put it all together. I think it's important, actually, even at the beginning of a relationship that may be working to be like, well, let's get some really good tools and techniques in place so that we can have empowered conversations from the beginning so that we can get on the right track to begin with. So we don't have to go into this issue realm. And then I think that all of our relationships will work a lot smoother. You know, I'm, I'm working on that. You know, I'm setting up one of my kind of missions is to really help teach individuals just a healthy blueprint for relationships. So I'm doing something called the Relationship Reset Bootcamp, where I'm having women really work to begin with. I'm really working with women on this particular aspect. And then I'll open it up to others like couples and, and men. But I just wanted to work with one part of the population on how do you cultivate healthy tools routines and patterns in a relationship. And when is this camp going to be? If there are women that are listening and we do have quite a few women that listen either now or in the replay and everything. So when will this camp be so, and how can folks find out about it? Yes. So it's called the relationship Re reset bootcamp and the, you can just go to relationship reset bootcamp.com. That's the URL. And I'm starting one on May 17th. I plan on doing one every month. So basically, it's it's an online six session course um, and to just keep helping women really get empowered in relationships. So that's my mission. And then I'm going to probably be offering one for couples. I feel, though, that because I'm a woman, a woman, it's easier for me to, to be able to interact with them on some of these tools to begin with and then help them bring that into the relationship. So this is for people who are in a relationship or want to create a relationship if you're in a relationship, you're like, well, why am I only one going and not my, you know, my partner? Is it actually you learning the tools is a good start in the partnership? Because then you can help support your partner and bring him or her into this conversation even more. So it's, it has to start somewhere. Oh, yeah, it definitely has to start somewhere. Uh, you were talking about corporations and how they deal with it. I know a lot of times in the past, corporations would always do those team-building exercises, and it seems to me like that's a type of relationship that corporations try to deal with and everything. I was just wondering your thoughts as to whether team-building exercises are actually effective in the sense of learning about and dealing with relationships. Because I know a lot of times you'll always hear about those team building exercises, whether that's folks falling back on each other or doing a number of those other kind of things. I've even got some friends that are into the mindfulness community. So sometimes their team building exercises might be dance or yoga related. Well, I mean, of course, I think there's always some value in this sort of work because it brings a connection and a bonding outside of the day-to-day um, -day business world. And when you can connect with somebody in a different way, I think it creates a new level of understanding and compassion. And, and that does allow that to um, kind of bleed into the work environment in a positive way. One of the things that, that I believe in general, I think there are certain types of exercises that might be more impactful for relationship building in corporations or 
for individuals. There's, I don't want to go into this topic too much because we're running out of time here, but um, there's something called the Enneagram, the Enneagram personality that I also have spent a lot of time studying and the Enneagram, which basically helps people see what type they are in nine different types. That I think can be really effective in the corporate world and in um, relationship world. And I use that with my clients too. So that helps you kind of see your natural patterns. And there's like, you fit into one of nine different types. Um, and what are those types? If I can ask really quickly, and I know, like you said, you've got to get ready to jump off very shortly and uh, take care of your other <laughs> clients and everything. So then I'll definitely <laughs> might have one of the guests coming. And if not, I've definitely got some tapes of some of the other things that we've done in the, the past, as well as some of our other yeah. shows. But I have a client to get to soon. That's kind of like why I'm, I'm going to need to go. But so basically, um, I, I'm, I'm going to go really quick because the Enneagram, we could spend an entire broadcast just on the Enneagram. It's a very deep, it's a deep topic because there's so much amazing work that's been done on this. So basically, it, it helps you see your core patterns, your core triggers, and how you naturally show up in the world, um, and also how you behave under stress. Um, so there's nine quick types and you can probably look for it on, on the, um, there's lots in, on the web about the Enneagram. So I could just quickly go around without giving much introduction to them. So there's um, what's called the perfectionists. So the first one, so the one, number one is all about really measuring up to ideal standards, showing up in the world in the right way, doing the right thing. So that's how they look at life. How can I do the right thing and help others do the right thing? Um, so whether it's moral or spiritual or ethical, that's kind of how they show up in, in the world. Number two the, um, is the caretaker. So it's all about how do I support other people? It's also called, called the helper. They naturally want to help other people. But they help other people and they really are very loving and supportive in hopes that they will get that love in return. So their biggest trap is that they actually might become martyrs, right? And they mm -hmm. might get very unhappy because they're not giving the love that they're, they're not getting the love that they're seeking by giving up themselves. And they can give so much of themselves that they, you know, become exhausted and depleted, right? So the three on the Enneagram is the achiever. So they're all about, again, recognition. They, they, they're very, very into productivity and making something happen in order to be recognized as successful, in order to be honored. And so they're what they're looking for and what drives them in their life is this core recognition of like, yes, you did it. You're great. You know, that kind of stuff. So they're, they're the ones that have a ton of awards, you know, on their walls. Right. And they go for a ton of diplomas. Right. So that's that's the achiever, the three. The, the four has been classified as and I'm just giving some of the names. All of them have a ton of different names. <laughs> the four is the hopeless romantic is one way of looking at it. Um, they're, they're naturally into what I call uniqueness. They have a uniqueness that they feel they want to express the world. They, they want to, they often show up as artists and they're really deep in feeling and like, oh, I have this amazing message to share to others, but nobody really gets me. That's the hopeless part. Nobody really gets me. And so they spend their time trying to show others how amazing and unique they are and that they're the ones that will, you know, oftentimes 
really stand out because they have a unique personality. They dress in a unique way. They have a unique talent. And so they're trying to get this, this really deep connection, this sense of love and connection through their uniqueness. So those were like the two, three, and four were the image types or the heart-based types. It's all about that part. Then there's five, six, and seven on the Enneagram. And these are what we call the mind types. So they're more ruled by the mental component. So there's five, which is, can be called the specialist. But it's what it really is. is it's almost that scientific personality. Right. They love to get knowledge. They, they're like, the knowledge is what keeps them feeling safe. So it's all what the core fear is, is that they won't be safe in life unless they have all this knowledge. So they have tons of books and they dive really deep into a subject and become the expert. So they're the ones who often actually invent new things because they they dive so deep. You're the, the scientists, the inventors. Um, and they what they really, really need is just to be recognized by their ability to be knowledgeable. Um, there's a six on the Enneagram. The six is very complex. I'm actually the six on the Enneagram. <laughs> and um, they sometimes we're called the devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're able to really see all sides of the equation. But why we're able to see that is because what's what's really driving us is fear and a need for security. And so if you have a need for security, you're going to make sure that you know everything that's possible. Like they've seen all sides of the equation. And what drives the six is, is what I call it competent. They want to be competent. They want to be part of a team. They want to create harmony. They want to make sure that it all works together. And a lot of like a typical kind of role in our society and six are actually um, people who are in um, the police force, for instance, who are trying to help society in that way. They really show up and say like, okay, we're here because we want to make sure everybody's safe, right? So um, the sevens are the enthusiasts or of the Enneagram. So what are they? They're all about adventure and exploration and getting the most out of life. Fear is driving them, but in a different way. Fear is driving them to go out and really take advantage of life because they're afraid if they stop, they're going to feel that fear inside of them. So they better get busy. They're the ones who have like five parties on their calendar for the same night. They know everything that's happening in town. They're out dancing and having fun. They can be super fun. They're very idealistic. Good. The problem is, is that sometimes you really don't know what's going on with them. Like to get to the depths is sometimes challenging because they're so busy having fun. So well. that's seven. The eight, nine, and one, I started with one. They, those are the... They call them the body types, but what's really driving them is control. So the AIDS feel that they need to control in a, in a good way, assert themselves in the world. So they're called the boss of the Enneagram or assertive ones mm -hmm. to control other people in order to make things happen. So they're the ones that are going to step up. They're, they naturally are the leaders. They stand out in the world as like, Wow, they're always the one in front of things, making things happen. So they're very focused on getting things done, on tasks, and sometimes at the expense of relationships. <laughs> um, and then the nine is called the peacemaker, and they avoid conflict at all costs. They actually give up themselves in order to create peace in a relationship, 
in any place because their whole goal in life is how can we create more peace? And so they're a conflict avoidant. And then the ones I, I already exp explained, their whole thing about control is to control the environment so that they we live up to the standards. So there you go. There's your nine types very quickly done. Oh, very quickly done, but very effectively done as well. So I was actually really impressed with the fact that you gave them all. And I was actually trying to figure out which one I was, because I know that I can sometimes be, I was either two or nine, too much of a giver. So I know a lot of times folks will ask me to do things and I'll sometimes be too much of a giver and things along those lines. So I don't show where those givers fall in that category, but it sounded like somewhere between two and nine and all of that, because you're always trying to give up yourself because you're wanting to uh, help out society or help out this or that and aren't always um, doing it and getting the reward that you should get for it. Right. Yeah. So you could be one of those two. And I would have to ask you some more questions. So when I work with a client, I normally ask them enough questions for us to get clear, like where they are. And then we figure out like, where's your Enneagram type and who's your partner? What's your partners? And then how do these two interact together? And that's when it's really interesting because you can understand if you have two different core drives, drivers, two different core triggers, core behaviors, um, core, like was fear driving you or control driving you? What's driving you? then you can figure out how to work more effectively together as a couple to really understand the other person instead of taking it personally and be like, oh, that's just because, oh, there's sixes showing up right now. So a thing about the Enneagram is the more stressed you get, the more that number becomes pronounced and you, you're- Because you said you were a devil's advocate. So is your beloved a fellow devil's advocate or- the no. he's actually a one on the Enneagram. It's the perfectionist one, but one ones and sixes work really well together because we are the rules, rule followers. I'm following the rules because I like want make sure that we're all secure and safe and we're, you know, doing the right thing as a group. <laughs> um, it just out of safety, really. And he's following the rules because he has these standards, right? We need to, we have a morality to follow. So we are both conformists, they're called in the Enneagram. So we actually work well in, in that arena. That was great. Like I said, I don't want to keep you away from your client. One of the things that I always get all my guests to do, and we haven't done yet, is okay. um, if you can give us the social media and the way that folks can reach out to you if they're interested in reaching out to you. And then one of the other things that I try to get all my guests to do is it is a global network, IBM TV, formerly, I mean, formerly IBM TV, about to be Pod TV and everything. But we try to get folks to share their message of positivity their message that they would like to share with the global community. Cause we do have uh, shows in uh, South Africa shows in Nigeria, listeners in Australia, New Zealand and uh, Europe and a variety of other places. And of course we've got shows and listeners throughout the country. So definitely if there's any words of positivity that you would like to share with our audience, we would love to hear that as we wind down this session and this section. Oh, great. Well, I, I am so into positivity. So I think that what I would leave you with um, is the fact that you are stronger than you imagine, that you really do have the strength and the ability to stand in your power and go after what you really want and need, whether that's in a relationship, whether that's in career or wherever. So I think it's about what I think the most important thing is just to remember how strong we really are and how much talents and purpose we naturally all have as human beings. And the most important thing is how important it is to share with others because 
I believe you were born here for a reason and you have these skills and talents for a reason and the world needs to hear more from you. So the more we can do that, I think the more positive the whole world will be if you can allow yourself to just fully show up. And that's what I'm working on doing the more, more and more every day, just showing up. <laughs> and definitely doing a great job of showing up. If folks are interested in reaching out and hearing more about one, the book, where the book is available, as well as just reaching out for you for relationship counseling and all of that, how would they go about reaching you on the wonderful world of social media and all of that? Okay, so you can, of course, go to my website, margozayer.com, which is obviously written out there just as it looks. Um, and you can go to Relationship Reset Bootcamp if you're interested in, in that. Um, and then my book, The Golden Cage from Entrapment to Empowerment is on Amazon. Just type that in in my name. And it's also on my um, website. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. The, I'm, I'm on Instagram, Margo, M-A-R-G-O-T, Mindset Coach, Mindset Coach on Instagram. So that's easy to find. And my name is, and on Facebook, you can friend me at Margo Zayer too. So just that, that's my name. And on LinkedIn, that's my name too. Just find me on all these social medias under my name. Um, I think that's it. <laughs> Sounds great. And hopefully people will do that. I know that a lot of times folks are thinking about, as we talked about relationships, both in terms of business relationships, but also the personal relationships. And I would even argue that there's been a lot of conversation, which we didn't touch base with on this time, but maybe we'll do it on a future episode about the relationships that um, the young people are going through as well. I was watching a documentary where they were talking about how a lot of the kids are getting caught up in the, the like culture just because they want to be liked on Facebook and things along those lines. And that can be painful to relationships because it's a form of approval and all of that. And sometimes they're not prepared for it. So I don't know if there's young folks that are watching and if you've got any very quick advice that you want to give folks that are caught up in that, what um, I think the movie that I was watching called The Light Culture, where they're so caught up in wanting to be liked, wanting to be accepted. And even Instagram itself, speaking of Instagram, is doing some things where people can mask those likes so that it's not as big of a deal with our young folks. Yeah, I mean, this is just a huge conversation, Mark, that probably we would spend more time on. I just would like to say that it's it's really about learning how to tap into your own ability to love who you are without it being dependent on somebody else's outer behavior. And as a teenager or as a young adult, that is that is something to be learned and it can be cultivated. 
And so it's about like, how can you continue to focus on what do I like about myself? How can you look at your own wins and give yourself your own likes? You see what I'm saying? Like, hey, I'm really proud that you did that today. Because what you're looking for in likes is validation. It's like constantly trying to get validated. So we need to learn how to turn that into ourselves and validate ourselves. That's why I do a lot of practices about my wins and also giving, giving myself gratitude for what I've done in each day that validation back to myself. Hopefully that helped quickly. (laughs) Yep, that definitely helped and everything. I know you've got to get ready to bounce off. If there's any last things that you want to say, then I'm going to put on one of the spots from some of our other shows that are here on the network, and then I may come back with some closing thoughts. But if there's any last thoughts that you want to share before I bring on some of the great shows that we have here on the network and everything. So like I said, it's your time for any closing statements that you might want to share. I just want to thank you so much for having me today on your show, Mark. It was really a pleasure. And again, I would love to support anybody out there who would like any help. Just get a hold of me, send me a line, send me a line. Sounds funny. <laughs> you know, you can direct message me on Facebook or Instagram or send or even via my website. So I would love to connect with you if you have any other questions. So so happy to be with all of you today. Sounds good and definitely great to have this conversation. Look forward to hopefully having you back on in the near future. Always love having guests come back and make return trips. So hopefully I'll have to reach out to you on Potted or some of the other sources like LinkedIn and try to get you back on in the not too distant future so that we can continue this conversation because I was definitely uh, feeling that uh, connection even on uh, that soulmate level with you as well. So oh, definitely that's so sweet. Our conversation. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Do the same. Bye. Bye. Like I said, we've got some other amazing shows. And of course, my friend Brandon has got Best of Travel. So let's see what that's all about really quickly. Here's Best of Travel. My name's Brandon. I'm a world traveler, foodie, and YouTuber. Together, you and I will find the best travel hacks, tips, and best places to explore. Join me as we find new adventures together, live only on IBM.TV. Live. We have two purposes at Local Legislator Live at 11. 
which is a new product that we're putting out and I want to introduce it to you today. One is to help you become a more concise messenger. What does that mean? That means stop rambling and being able to share your message and share that message with 12 words or less. Number two, be a better deliverer of that message. Deliver with power, deliver with energy instead of sending people to sleep. If that is you, come see us, reach out to me at Let's Talk 1031 at gmail.com. We want to see you. Again, that email is Let's Talk 1031 at gmail.com. We've got the answer for you because we want to make you the best you you can be. Come see us. Take care. Hi, I'm Barbara A. Smith, known as the Masterful Presenter. If you could figure out a universal language, personality code, that connects with potential client, how powerful would that be? I empower people to communicate better what they do, what they have, and what they bring to the table. People love to buy. I don't need you to sell it to me. I'm going, I come in there with an intention, and that's what you're gonna do going forward. You're gonna go into networking events with intention. I am here benefiting from the wisdom of Barbara Smith. She gave so much information on how I can just excel in my business and I'm taking it to a whole nother level. I'm learning a lot that I didn't really know about my business. The information that she's been presenting has been informative and helpful to me. If you have not been in the presence of Ms. Holmes Smith, you need to make sure you do so. Her workshops are authentic, she comes with such training, and she just graces you with her presence and she allows you to feel the experience like none other before. folks <clears throat> still continue with some more great news and all of that and definitely some great conversations i'll be back in a minute with another uh show that is a great show here and everything which is mind closet and we'll be telling a little bit about that as well and hopefully maybe mrs laura cobbs will be joining us also and definitely we'll see if any of the other gang decides to pop away 
as well. So definitely things are going along in that regard. But let me share you with some news that we're finding out and all of that. One of them is that Verizon has sold Yahoo and AOL for $5 billion. Breaking up media unit Oath, Verizon agreed Monday to sell Yahoo and AOL to a private equity from Apollo Global Management for $5 billion. The telecom giant had acquired the internet pioneers as part of a strategy to sell digital advertising. It wrote down the value of umbrella unit Oath by almost $5 billion in 2018 under competitive pressure from Google and Facebook. Apollo partner Reed Raymond said only then that the go-forward company would be renamed Yahoo, adding the iconic brand's rank among the world's most visited websites. So uh, definitely looks like uh, there's some move in that regards as well. Uh, one of the many assets, of course, that Apollo is getting is AOL. 1.5 million people still pay a monthly fee for AOL, but instead of dial-up internet, now they get tech support and ID theft services. The number of dial-up customers has fallen to the low thousands, according to people familiar with that matter. So not many people are doing dial-up and all of that. Most people are doing internet in other varieties, other varieties and doing it along those lines. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in that regards and what other major corporation shakeups are going to go on as well. By the way, is herd immunity slipping away? That was another article that has been of interest on the LinkedIn news feeds and everything. But it says the prospect of reaching herd immunity through COVID-19 or point at which enough Americans are protected from the pathogen to erase its threat may be slipping away. While more than half of U.S. adults have received at least one dose of the vaccine, public health experts say the slowing pace of incalations is snarling progress toward a threshold that is moving higher because of the new variants. A new normal could be continued hospitalizations and deaths, but in much smaller numbers, the New York Times writes. Young Americans are more likely to postpone getting vaccinated, a Harris poll shows. With India's second wave of infections at tsunami proportions, new cases and deaths are continuing to exceed global records. Australia and Nigeria have forbade their citizens from returning from the country. Moderna agreed to donate 34 million doses of its COVID vaccine this year to COVAX, the global organization supplying them to poorer countries. So. Definitely, you know, this is a global pandemic and it needs to be treated in such a global manner. So we've definitely got to find ways to help those folks that are in poorer countries as well as make sure that um, we get that whole herd immunity thing going as well. Because businesses also are trying to figure out when they should bring employees back to the office. The CDC is leaving them in the dark only issuing closing criteria, but not reopening the criteria, according to a professor at John Hopkins University School of Medicine by the name of Marty McCauley. He was saying that many businesses are now stuck trying to figure it out on their own, each trying to independently reinvent the wheel. Some large companies are hiring expensive medical consultants, but many small businesses can't afford to do that. Given the prevalent rate of vaccinated immunity, and natural immunity, uh, the CDC should issue guidance like it's reasonable to bring employees back when the local infection rates are below 10 daily cases uh, per 100,000 
and more than 55 to 65% of the adults are vaccinated criteria than much of the country has now met. So definitely it'll be interesting to see when folks go back to work or if they go back to work, how they go about doing that and all of that. So that'll be really interested in that regards as well. By the way, a meat giant has gone plant-based. That's right, Tyson Foods is entering the increasingly crowded plant-based food industry as it debuts its first fully vegan burger. After its first failed attempt with a plant protein and beef hybrid patty, Tyson released a lineup of fully vegan meat products with the plant-based market expected to reach $450 billion in revenue and make up a quarter of the meat market by 2040. Tyson is next in line to enter the industry following competitors like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat. So definitely that's some of the things that are going on in that regard. And it'll be interesting to see what happens as they try to go into that. I know that Tyson was a big meat giant, and that looks like they're going to go into the plant-based field as well. And it looks like New Mexico, that's right, the state of New Mexico, is betting big on streaming. New Mexico is betting big that the millions in corporate incentives spent on bringing a Netflix studio to the Albuquerque suburbs will pay off in a big way. Bloomberg reports that over the last several years, Netflix has invested heavily in studios, backlots, and post-production in the area, buoyed by generous economic incentives, including tens of millions in subsidies and tax breaks. The report notes that this scheme will serve as a case study whether such public generosity will help spur economic growth and create a permanent production ecosystem. So this is going to be interesting to see how that plays out and all of that. Um, and I'm going to have to find out what they've got to say about Basecamp because I know some musicians that were using Basecamp. But before we get to that story, it's saying that uh, one about picking an imperfect job. People who are looking for work should ultimately be looking for the right job, but that doesn't mean they'll find a perfect position. In fact, expecting a job to be perfect may set you up for disappointments, according to Lindsay Pollock, who is the author of Recalculating, Navigating Your Career Through the Changing World of Work. In the latest edition of Get Hired, she suggests a few steps when selecting a job. Have measured expectations, apply and do your research, know your non-negotiables, and go with your gut. Those are some of the things that they suggested in that regard and all of that. And now we're going to find out what they've got to say about Basecamp. It says about one-third of Basecamp's employees, at least 20, according to the New York Times, have resigned following CEO Jason Fried's policy changes that essentially banned political discussions at work. Fried wrote in a blog post that suicide, that societal and political discussions were no longer permitted on the company account, but workers could converse on messaging apps or their personal Basecamp accounts. David Hansen, one of Basecamp's founders, revealed in a subsequent blog post that they had offered severance worth up to six months' salary to employees who could not see a future at Basecamp under this new direction. So, uh, as a matter of fact, a uh, startup correspondent at Insider by the name of April Joyner said they have been following the fallout from Basecamp's workplace overhaul, including a ban on political discussions and the disbanding of its Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council. A third of the employees ended up quitting. 
one former employee that she interviewed described bullying behavior from the company's co-founder, and she also spoke with some workplace and DEI experts to gather some perspective on the situation. And of course, more of that article can be found on Business Insider. So definitely it looks like some changes are going on at that major corporation, which I know is involved in the music field and all of that. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out and what happens in that regard. Um, and then some people are asking, does consulting have to be in person? Prior to the crisis, many consultants were expected to spend 60 to 80% of their time traveling for work. But with the pandemic disrupting business travels, the largest consulting firms had to rethink the value of travel and also the benefits of remote work. The shift could be a boon for many women, particularly women with children who considered exiting the industry altogether because of its travel demands. Consulting business travel rethink is a glimmer of hope for female workers who in many cases had to sacrifice career gains to take care of their families during the pandemic. So uh, it'll uh, be interesting to see what goes on in that regards as well. But definitely a uh, Caroline Fairchild, a host of LinkedIn News Live and an editor-at-large at LinkedIn as well, said the pandemic led to a phenomenon that would have been virtually unheard of in the demanding and in-person world of management consulting and in to business travel. The dramatic shift is leading major consulting firms to reimagine what travel will be necessary moving forward, and that could be a boon for the many women, particularly women with children, who considered exiting the industry altogether because of his travel demands. As part of LinkedIn's top company list, she spoke with leaders across the management consulting industry who provided a glimmer of hope for female workers who in many cases had to sacrifice career gains to take care of their families during the pandemic. As a matter of fact, Michael Finland, who is a PwC chief people officer, said that the pandemic had accelerated dramatically our progress on flexibility. It has shattered assumptions across the board. There are certain ways that you can't work. So that's some of the things that were being shared on that particular feed as well. And we're also seeing that Asian American um, executives are acting about inequality. So let's see what they've got to say as well. A group of Asian American business leaders has pledged $125 million to the Asian American Foundation, a newly formed initiative that plans to challenge anti-Asian discrimination and incorporate the historical role of Asian Americans into school curriculums. The initiative, which comes amid a surge of violence against Asian Americans, is the single largest philanthropic effort devoted to Asian Americans who receive less than 1% of philanthropic funding. The foundation has tapped organizations like Walmart, Bank of America, and the National Basketball Association to match the donors' investments. So definitely that should be some powerful news there in the um, Asian American community uh, as well. As a matter of fact, Eric Dada, Global Head of Social Marketing at Facebook, said the fight for hashtag Stop Asian Hate has fundamentally changed my DNA and perspective on how I can help my community. He um, added earlier this year, I took a few phone calls about an organization that will bring all nonprofits for the Asian American community together as one. The organization launches today called the Asian American Foundation, and I am proud to be on the inaugural advisory council with some incredible leaders. So uh, he thanks Sanal Shah for giving him the opportunity to create more change for the Asian American community. 
that if you want to get involved, you can join at PAF.org and listen in tomorrow to hear remarks from former President Barack Obama, George W. Bush, and Bill Clinton on why this moment is different for the Asian American community and the change will make it just starting. So that was uh, done earlier today. So yeah, that uh, link will be, uh, and those talks will be going on tomorrow. So I might even try to pop in on that as well and learn more about what they've got going on and ways that different other organizations, including some organizations that I'm part of, can help in uh, working with them. Because I know I'm a member of the local chapter of the uh, Black Journalists, the National Association of Black Journalists, and I am a member of the Triangle chapter. So maybe I'll figure out a way that they can get involved as well. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. <clears throat> By the way, Burke with Berkshire Hathaway Chairman and CEO Warren Buffett and his Vice Chairman Charlie Munger both criticized special purpose acquisition companies, uh, SPACs, and stock trading app Robinhood during the company's annual meeting, and they were more like gamblers than investors. Buffett also explained why he had dumped airline stock at the start of the crisis. Munger, meanwhile, defended Berkshire's record stock buyback as a fair and highly moral move for shareholders' step, for shareholders' sake. The much-watched annual meeting was heard, held virtually for a second year running, although Buffett was reunited with Munger in Los Angeles, making it the first time the event took place outside of Omaha, Nebraska. Buffett hinted after the meeting that Greg Abel, vice chairman of Berkshire's non-insurance company, was a likely successor, saying Abel's age, 58, was a determining factor. Berkshire Hathaway swung to a first quarter net profit of of 11.7 billion from a loss of 49.7 billion a year ago. Operating earnings jumped 20% to just over 7 billion and the company also continued its stock buybacks repurchasing 6.6 billion of Berkshire shares. So that's just some of the things that are going on in the world of news and all of that. So that's just some of the things that are happening in that regard. Right now, I'm getting ready to bring up another one of those spots, and this time it's going to be for Mind Closet.
Don't forget to get in touch with us and tell us some of the things that are on your mind and some of the things that you might be hoping to have happen in your world and all of that, because we are always interested in hearing from our many uh, past guests as well as new fans and all of that. So definitely uh, keep us informed about things that are on your mind, and we'll be keeping you informed about the amazing things happening here as well. But definitely do keep us in mind as you are thinking about um, events as we try to open up as well as different other things because we love having conversations with entrepreneurs, activists, and many other folks along those lines. And by the way, don't forget that uh, donations are always accepted. So the Cash App is Mark Lee 1962 and that's with a dollar sign behind it. Or you can do the PayPal at Emily at Haytai.org. So either of those work. So definitely always looking to get support for the various things that we are doing in the media world as well. But let's check out about some great folks that are doing amazing things here in the Triangle in the sense of business and all of that. Might even bring up some conversations that my friend Eric has been having about his art and art world and all of that. But before we get to that, let's check out some important business leaders that are doing great things in our community. Hello, and welcome to the North Star Initiative. I'm Glendola Massenberg Beasley, and in this time of COVID, the North Star Initiative serves as an accelerator to promote, support, and secure funding for small, rural, and urban businesses. Our team is here to assist you with overcoming cash flow obstacles. Let's listen to Dr. Dennis Rogers as he interviews three local business owners as they share their experiences during these uncertain times. My name is Dr. Dennis Rogers and I'm being joined today by Dr. Tanya Armstrong. Welcome, Dr. Armstrong. Tell us a little bit about your business, Dr. Armstrong. Absolutely. I am the owner of the Armstrong Center for Hope. It is an interdisciplinary practice of psychology where we specialize in psychological and spiritual wellness for all ages. We have a main office in Durham that has been functional for 10 years this month, actually. And we also opened a second office in Raleigh in uh, the fall of 2019. And so we've been providing individual, family, couple, and group psychotherapies, as well as psychological testing, consultations, and trainings to the public. Excellent. Your clients, Maxwell, who do you do business with and how does that interaction take place? The, uh, the majority of my business now, because it has changed, um, is farmers, commercial landscapers, um, landowners, uh, people that are looking to maintain their equipment, to mm -hmm. maintain their land. Yes. Um, and then we still have a good number of residential customers with the lawnmowers and, and things like that to take care of their property, but mainly we're doing larger uh, equipment now. The biggest thing to help someone in any trade or any craft is to treat the one person the same as you would the next one coming through the door. Mm -hmm. Because if they, they figure out that you're fair and that you're going to charge them fairly, you're going to charge Joe over here the same as John, mm -hmm. they'll come to you. Right. If they think you go, you give him a break and he's going to go out there and tell everybody else, hey, he cut me a break, that kind of thing, then you, all of a sudden you've just opened up a can of worms mm -hmm. and you got to 
cut everybody apart. We are a live entertainment uh, company, and that's something uh, that we pride ourselves on. And, and the experience, that face-to-face experience where you can actually feel the electricity and the spirit of the music um, bouncing off of the people in the audience, that's what's really important to us. So while we are looking at uh, ways to incorporate streaming, what we really want to do is be patient and wait for um, the opportunity for us to gather um, because healing is, uh, music is healing mm-hmm. and it's unifying. And so I think it'll be important for us when uh, it's safer to, to gather and to really heal as a community and as a nation with some live music. And one thing that we love to do is contract and subcontract, like I said, with small businesses who have just as much uh, on the line as we do as a yes. small business. So uh, looking back at the festival and at our concerts, we make sure that we contract with uh, transportation companies, with catering businesses, with marketing agencies that are small businesses and that are minority-owned businesses so that everyone is getting a piece of this pie. Mm-hmm. Everyone is going for their own success. And in the end, because we all have a shared uh, out- outcome, um, everyone's working hard to make it come, come to fruition. Excellent. Great job, Dr. Rogers. So business owners, if you're seeking a grant or business funding, our North Star Initiative offers a no-cost assessment for funding opportunities. Contact us via our website at www.gmbeasley.com. Your business could be featured with our next North Star promotion. Natural Breeden, and I'm introducing a new author in her publication. Dr. Veronica Hardy is an inspirational speaker, author, and educator. Through her writing and public speaking, she uses the power of story to reveal and confront challenges experienced by the readers and listeners. And this is showcased through her book, A Letter to My Sisters, Reflecting on God's Promises. what influenced the title of your book? I can say, now I did change the title a few times. Um, It went from, I think I started with calling it Tamar's View um, to capture more from her perspective. Mm -hmm. Then I switched it to everybody has their stuff. You know, we all carry something. And then finally I decided to pray. You know, God, what what do you really want people to receive or know from this book? Mm-hmm. And so that's when a letter to my sisters reflecting on God's promises really came to me because I felt it was really fitting that I was writing something for other women to read from my heart to theirs. Oh, thank you. Now, Dr. Hardy, why did you choose the story about Tamar as the basis of the book? I feel like oftentimes we don't talk much about the Women, women in the Bible who have gone through difficulties mm-hmm. such as her, she was raped or sexually assaulted by her half-brother. Okay. And I just thought that was an important story to be able to bring out. And I thought it was important to kind of bring out her story, how she responded to it, so we could also look at how we respond to it as well. 
Now, Dr. Hardy, how does the story of Tamar serve as an example for you? Mm, I would say strength for one. It seems like it seems like she didn't hide it at all. And I think sometimes if someone were to ask us, we want to cover it. We don't want to share it. Why? Because we're carrying the shame or we feel like we're guilty that we caused the situation to happen to us. So I was glad she was able to share it with her brother, acknowledge it. And then he said to her, don't take it to heart. And that message spoke to me that we don't have to carry it carry what someone else did to us, we don't have to make that become part of our identity, but for us to remember who we are, because she was a princess, and that's not taken away because of what someone else did to her, and I just wanted us as women to remember who we are in God's eyes. Thank you. Are you looking for money-saving strategies for your business and personal finances? Are you tired of working hard every day with little or nothing to show for it? Contact Prosperity Financial Services, LLC right now for your free financial consultation. Call now to reserve yours today, 804-349-8600, 804-349-8600. You ready? My coach, Barbara H. Smith, 
Why did I hire her? Because she's the best. Barbara H. Smith is a powerhouse. She just walks in the room and grabs your attention and uh, she does that in a way that just makes you feel loved and like she's um, paying attention to you, she cares about you, and she wants to see you be your best self. The coaching that I am receiving from Barbara H. Smith gives me confidence. She was able to dig inside and find the passion that was deep within me. Barbara's energy is one of the uh, one of the reasons that I had to have her as my coach. I love the way she is real with people. The reason I felt like I needed a coach was because I have some big goals and I needed um, to build my confidence. I knew that Barbara could help me do that. One conversation with Barbara H. Smith and she will be able to tell you what it is you're missing. I felt that um, I could trust her. I would definitely recommend to get coaching from Barbara H. Smith if you feel like you need to level up your confidence. She would just help you feel like bold, like you can take on the world. She has really shown me who I am. She has changed my mindset to a place that I know that I am more powerful today than I would have ever been if I had never met Barbara Smith. The difference between thinking and doing and living in the 21st century. They teach us about being a real quarterback oriented games. We don't have to just use video games and live in the shadows of good things because of them. We grow up with agility far larger and bigger than we are tall. Parents are the champions and have to be our first life coaches and <laughs> know-it-alls. Who knows how this came to be? Coaches will ask you if you know your right foot from your left. If you know yourself. If you act knowingly good or bad. If you can move and negotiate a field with style and form. If you can tackle or throw a pass. Or if your last name is that of a clown. If you can let someone know on the team that you are in trouble. Before you cause yourself or someone else trouble. If you are ready to learn teamwork or aware that you started out today with your pants down or your sportsmanship was left on the kitchen table. If you know the social studies, the alphabets, science, music, characters, and the stats and the numbers of a great student player eligible to stay on the team, and if you know the poise of great athletic champions and their scientific attitudes that are historical or music to us now, if you have the swag of the game, the discipline, the performance, and artistic form down pat, and if you have the style of gymnastic that the sport has with life, if you have the work ethic and determination to make it all seem easy and not a game at all, if you have the knowledge of all the above, or you don't know things like this even make the difference, I think that when it comes to the importance of parents, and their field and self-knowledge, wisdom, virtues, and courage, 
their teachings, love, respect, care that they illustrate on the field and then the grind of life with their actions and their ideas, experiences, muscle and strategic magic and skills wrapped around us with their priceless love. For their verbs to be that make us winners in this hard and fast third century that without them, kids and adults, athletes could hardly see or do anything at all. Parents teach us the difference between playing video games and playing on the field. Parents teach us how to be champions. A huge hug should go to parents, coaches, and parent-like community people who have love on the field for you and who are champions for your life, both in and out the games. Did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks.
difference between thinking and doing and living in the 21st century. They teach us about being a real quarterback-oriented games. We don't have to just use video games and live in the shadows of good things because of them. We grow up with agility far larger and bigger than we are tall. Parents are the champions and have to be our first life coaches and <laughs> know-it-alls. Who knows how this came to be? Coaches will ask you if you know your right foot from your left. If you know yourself. If you act knowingly good or bad. If you can move and negotiate a field with style and form. If you can tackle or throw a pass. Or if your last name is that of a clown. If you can let someone know on the team that you are in trouble. Before you cause yourself or someone else trouble. If you are ready to learn teamwork or aware that you started out today with your pants down or your sportsmanship was left on the kitchen table. If you know the social studies, the alphabets, science, music, characters, and the stats and the numbers of a great student player eligible to stay on the team. And if you know the poise of great athletic champions and their scientific attitudes that are historical or music to us now, if you have the swag of the game, the discipline, the performance, and artistic form down pat, and if you have the style of gymnastics that the sport has with life, if you have the work ethic and determination to make it all seem easy and not a game at all, if you have the knowledge of all the above, or you don't know things like this even make the difference, I think that when it comes to the importance of parents and their field and self-knowledge, wisdom, virtues, and courage, their teachings, love, respect, care, that they illustrate on the field and in the grind of life with their actions and their ideas, experiences, muscle, and strategic magic and skills wrapped around us with their priceless love. For their verbs, to be that make us winners in this hard and fast third century that without them, kids and adults, athletes could hardly see or do anything at all. Parents teach us the difference between playing video games and playing on the field. Parents teach us how to be champions. A huge hug should go to parents, coaches, and parent-like community people who have love on the field for you and who are champions for your life, both in and out the games. Are you ready? My coach, Barbara H. Smith, 
Why did I hire her? Because she's the best. Barbara H. Smith is a powerhouse. She just walks in the room and grabs your attention and uh, she does that in a way that just makes you feel loved and like she's um, paying attention to you, she cares about you, and she wants to see you be your best self. The coaching that I am receiving from Barbara H. Smith gives me confidence. She was able to dig inside and find the passion that was deep within me. Barbara's energy is one of the uh, one of the reasons that I had to have her as my coach. I love the way she is real with people. The reason I felt like I needed a coach was because I have some big goals and I needed uh, to build my confidence. I knew that Barbara could help me do that. One conversation with Barbara H. Smith and she will be able to tell you what it is you're missing. I felt that um, I could trust her. I would definitely recommend to get coaching from Barbara H. Smith if you feel like you need to level up your confidence. She would just help you feel like bold, like you can take on the world. She has really shown me who I am. She has changed my mindset to a place that I know that I am more powerful today than I would have ever been if I had never met Barbara Smith. Another interesting news story that I'm seeing and everything and wondering what kind of impact it's going to have on Duke University since they have definitely given some money to that university. And I know that Melinda Gates is a Duke graduate, but it appears that Bill and Melinda Gates have announced today that they are divorcing after 27 years of marriage. Bill Gates issued a statement attributed to the couple detailing the split via Twitter. It says, after a great deal of thought and a lot of work on our relationship, we have made the decision to end our marriage over the last 27 years, we have raised three incredible children and built a foundation that works all over the world to enable all people to lead healthy, productive lives. We continue to share a belief in that mission and we'll continue our work together at the foundation, but we no longer believe we can grow together as a couple in this next phase of our lives. We ask for space and privacy for our family as we begin to navigate this new life. Although the pair intends to continue working together through the Humanitarian Foundation, the Gates said they no longer believe they can grow together as a couple in the next phase of their life. And that's what the uh, whole statement said and all of that. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, what goes on in that regards as well. So like I said, that's some, a little bit of uh, social news that I just saw going on in the world as well. So that's just something that I saw. Um, and by the way, they uh, had earlier said that uh, their kids won't inherit a vast fortune. So earlier they had said that he is hopeful for a return to normality by the end of 2022. Um, and it definitely looks like he was also saying that um, the kids will not be inheriting the vast amount of money that they have put together and all of that. So wondering if that will still be the case after the uh, separation and divorce and all of that and wondering how the kids feel about that because that can be if you're raised in those kind of families i can imagine that could be something that you're waiting for your turn with that uh wealth and all of that not had any personal experience but i can imagine that that's what goes on in their heads and all of that so it'll be interesting to see what goes on in that news development that just came out earlier today so Definitely, we were talking about relationships on both shows, the one on the radio show with uh, Mark Lee, as well as the one Mullins and Music and Memories. And then I just happened to see that announcement that came out about a major relationship and all of that. So 
definitely it'll be interesting to see what goes on in that regards. And I know folks are still, some folks are still waiting for their checks. Some folks are hoping that there's another check stimulus out there and folks are still struggling with their finances as well. So definitely even as folks prepare for their um, tax plans and all of that, uh, folks are definitely looking at a lot of things and trying to see what's going on in that regard. So maybe some possibility of some more stimulus money coming from the uh, White House and all of that. But we'll just have to keep our ears open and find out what goes on in that regard. So definitely folks are talking about it um, and definitely seeing what will be going on in that regard. We do know that those that have kids can definitely be expecting some more stimulus because as a matter of fact, they said essentially creating a fourth stimulus check the IRS has already confirmed that monthly payments from the new 3,000 or 3,600 child tax credit will be delivered to financially strapped parents beginning in July. So I, as I've stated on several of my shows, do not have kids, even though I do have nephews, so that won't be helping me out, but it might be helping some of my friends out, including my brother that has got the two nephews and all of that. So definitely uh, it appears that the Internal Revenue Service and the Treasury Department are in the final innings of um, dispersing the remainest coronavirus stimulus checks under the American Rescue Plan to eligible U.S. taxpayers. But do not fret, more stimulus checks will soon be heading into bank accounts of American parents. So if you're a parent, it looks like you've got some more money coming your way as well. So definitely um, looks like things may be going that way. And then there is also the possibility that a permanent stimulus check might be coming around as well so uh definitely folks might be still getting uh other money as well but of course that's got to go through the house and a number of other things so don't know if i'd be holding my breath on that one but if you got uh kids it does look like you've got some more money coming your way for sure so definitely uh it'd be interesting to see and also take note that there could be even more monetary assistance on the way when biden on wednesday outlines his ambitious plans to boost the economy. So that was actually after the uh, press conference that was like, maybe this was before the press conference, that this particular article was held and all of that. But definitely does look like some money is coming for folks that are in that parental area and all of that. So that's good news for those that are in that aspect of society. But get ready to wrap it up. Get ready to call it another edition of Mullins Music and Memories. So right now I'm going to pop myself off the screen. And in a little bit, I'm going to hit the end broadcast. But hope that everybody enjoyed the conversations that we had. Well, first with Margot here on this particular show and with Asia on the other show. But definitely some great conversations around jobs, around legal advice, around um, relationship relationships advice, and a number of other things. But like I said, I'm ready to pop off the screen. And matter of fact, next time y'all see me, uh, hopefully there'll be a little bit trimmer hair look as I definitely have that appointment on Wednesday afternoon before the online dinner party. So hopefully everything will work out in that regard, but only time will tell. But right now I'm going to get ready to grab the phone and head over to check out the um, Straight Talk with Dean and Mark and see if we've got some guests showing up on that show as well.
At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams of 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks.